This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. To unleash the potential of human beings being able to talk freely with each other, humanity will progress so much faster, so yes. much better, without the federal government standing in the way and having its boot on the neck of America. And the intelligence agencies are getting a reckoning today. Hallelujah. Hell yeah. I love to see it. We need more of it more than ever. Luke you know, is so excited to sit in front of a bunch of conservatives and say that. Well, well, and get applause. That's right. I was right. screaming about the FBI for like 15 years. Finally, you guys are seeing it. Thank goodness. Thank you. No, 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 no. George W. But Bush. George W. Bush was like, we need more war. We need more national security. We need the Patriot Act. And I was like, you guys are crazy. It's going to be used against you guys. Hold it. What's happening right now? It's being used against you guys. Th that's a, but, uh, hang on. But that is why guys like yourselves, this platform, Glenn Greenwald, Matt Taibbi, Listen, that used to be the leading edge of the First Amendment. And now we see this is so dark and unbelievable. The FBI has taken with, in the CIA, in the DHS, with those venture capital firms that they're very close to in Silicon Valley, plus the ones they've started up. Yep. They control the dialogue. This is so obvious. It's so in your frickin' face. I think, Steve, you said earlier that it, something changed when Kennedy got killed, and I think what happened was that the U.S., there was a revolution in the government to a military government that wanted to set up military bases all over Earth, make sure we circumvent World War III. They An lied. Empire. It was the 1940s, basically, with the liberal economic order. And we're just now recently kind of, I'm starting to see it. This is like ancient Rome when the Republic fell and the Empire came up. The elite legionnaires, because you couldn't take the legions into Rome itself, but they had a, a core of legionnaires called the Praetorian Guard. And the Praetorian Guard got into the business of selecting the emperors. The ones we like are going to be weak and weak in control, we're going to put in power. The strong ones we're going to get rid of. What the administrative state and the deep state is, is a modern Praetorian Guard, and this is an American empire. We, we have an obligation, left and right, to come together and to deconstruct the administrative state. And the only people we should be backing for public office is those people that have titanium balls, right? That will make this their number one priority. I'm not but running for office. I'm not <laughs> running for office. But he does have titanium balls, I can yes. confirm. It was on my Wikipedia for a little while, so, something like that. So I have, I have a question, though, about Elon buying Twitter. When Elon initially tried to back out, my theory was he gets in to some of the nitty-gritty and sees national security letters or some kind of government roadblock, something jamming up the system, and then he's like, okay, I can't buy this. But then, of course, they're like, no, you have to buy it now. I wonder if he saw signs before buying it that this is how bad it was. I mean, he just said that on Twitter. He said it was destined for bankruptcy by May, so... But the FBI involvement. Well, of course. I mean, this is this is what we're talking about, right? So we talk, tie together what, you know, Luke is saying, what Steve is saying. What, what's happening is that they are we are unleashing with, with the power of social media, with the, a power of communication for us to be able to talk, to have these shows. This, we are unleashing a second flame of the Enlightenment throughout the West, and these frauds know they're going to get deposed. They know they're going to get exposed. They know they're going to be seen, and they know they're going to be in all kinds of trouble for the crimes that they've been committing. So Elon Musk steps into Twitter, wants to buy this thing, and all of a sudden they're like, uh-oh. We've been running a 
We've been running a, a, a psyop. We, an op. An op. Yeah, a psyop. Say, yeah, an active measure. That's right. This is a, this is this isn't even like controlled opposition kind of language. This is an active measure that was being waged against the country. And what people don't understand is what we're dealing with is literally called unconventional warfare. We're deep, deep, deep into an unconventional war. This is why memes are so powerful, as stupid as that sounds, because it disrupts. I agree. These, it disrupts their <laughs> their control warfare. of the. That's right. It's, but this is why the FBI warfare. specifically went after memes. They went after satire. Exactly. Uh, they went after. Yes, people who are making right. jokes because they know that's and, and uh, that's Sal Lazinski exactly right. even talks about this yes. when it comes to recluding your enemy. Them. But I want to add to Bannon's point really quick here because I believe that the U.S. intelligence had a coup d'état when they took out JFK. 100%. They, they had Vietnam. They had the CIA dosing people with acid. They sparked the Cultural Revolution. Some people think it was the libertarian ideas that sparked the revolution. No, it was too much government doing too many things, acting too crazy, acting like it was the emperor that spurred a cultural revolution, which the intelligence agencies have been writing on the back of with promoting degeneracy, trying to destroy the family unit of part of their larger depopulation agenda. But that's just my two cents. That was a, that was that's a, lot, of, right. a lot there. It's 100% right. Lot there. And, one. And, and expanding an empire. We don't want an empire. Our founders didn't want an empire. Right. We fought, remember, the British Empire was just about to head to the top of its game with India and the British East India Company. Our founders said, we don't want to be a part of that. We don't want an oligarchy running us, and we don't want a landed aristocracy running us, and we're prepared to go to war and sacrifice our lives to do that, to fight that. You know, that's what we have to do today because that's what they've built and that's what they're trying to protect. One problem I'm having is that the House of Representatives is sort of an oligarchy, unfortunately. They're bribable, and I wonder if we could build like a system of decentralized you know, smart contracts where everyone could represent their unit, like all 700,000 of us from a district could vote yes or no on something, and then that'll go to the Senate. We still have a Senate to veto the crazy mob, but do we really need this vulnerability anymore? I'm on a roll and you're going blockchain on me? <laughs> no, no, no. Let's go deep. Let me say, no. The founders set it up so that the, the, the House of Representatives is always there. We should be winning House seats. We should have dominant control of the House, right? We should adopt and make it and make it the weapon, make it the, remember the founders gave it the ability to taxes, appropriations, right. war, all of it is with the people. They wanted that as the closest thing in this republic, and everybody in this audience, left and right, should come together. Populist nationalists should come together and say, take a stand and say, no more. We've want, seen what he did to Kennedy, to Nixon even, now to Trump, and they're going to do it with it. If Bernie Sanders got in there, they do the same exact thing to Bernie Sanders. This is a little, a little wild. You know, Ian and Luke both bring up JFK, but we just saw that report from Tucker Carlson where he said he talked to a source. The, CIA's in, the CIA was involved, they told him, with the assassination of JFK. Do you think that they were involved with Robert Kennedy's assassination also? Obviously. Duh. <laughs> Luke's just like, let it all out. <laughs> do you trust the government, Ian? Sorry. Sorry, yes, you do. Sorry, we'll I don't trust anybody, Luke. That's why I want to decide. This is why I like smart contracts, because if we're voting for ourselves, if we're representing ourselves, we don't have to rely on one guy to tell, tell someone what 700,000 of us think. It doesn't make sense. I don't trust that guy. <laughs> Speak up. So we got a yeah. silent moment. I can go deep into some weird philosophy thing instead of like this specific crap I don't understand. <laughs> so get, I want to more abstract. No, I do. I want to talk about what Steve just said because I don't think enough Americans understand what America's about. We can talk about voting schemes and, and all, policy shit and all this we want, all we want. I don't think most Americans understand what America's about. And, and Steve actually just touched on it. And the key thing is that America is founded on a single important key principle is that not one of us is God. Yes. That's the key principle of this country. So what that means, if we're not God, 
True authority lies in God. Whether you believe in God or not, you take it as a symbol or as a literal thing, doesn't matter. True authority lies in God. You're not God, therefore you don't have any true authority over any other man. And now we have our anarchist friend like nodding along, of course. Therefore, what are we gonna do? We're gonna set up a system where we lend political authority with restrictions, with time limits, with all kinds of uh, balanced, divided powers so that they can't run amok, so that we don't become an empire because we're not God. It's that simple. And if you don't understand the basis of this, what's John Locke? What's he saying? John Locke says, well, we got to secure life, liberty, and property. Why does he say that? Thomas Jefferson echoes it in the Declaration. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Why do they say this? They say this because if they can't kill you, they can't lock you up, and they can't take your property, then they can't control how you think, and they can't control how you believe, and they can't control how you worship God. And that's what it means to be a free human being. But they can control the food supply and the water sources, and we need to make sure that we have decentralized food and water as well. Yeah, well obviously, I mean, now we're getting into Kissinger. Oh my God, I didn't oh, yeah. realize, you know, who, but, whoever controls the food controls the region, whoever controls the, the, the energy James. controls the nation, whoever controls the money controls the world, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you, uh, do you believe in God, are you atheist? I am an agnostic is the fancy word of the day. But, but let me say this, I, I, I rail against secularism all the time, and James and I had this conversation yesterday, and I think secularism is a threat to the West, but a much greater threat than not believing in God is believing you are God. And that is a much more dangerous threat. I will be partners with any atheist or agnostic, even though I'm an evangelical Bible-believing Christian, to fight the people that believe they are God. Because that is a much greater threat than not being sure if there is a God. Listen, that's the fight of the West. That's the, that's the drama of the entire West. There's these three competing reigns, the, the reign, uh, realms. There's reason, there's faith. And then there's this people who get to believe that they, they think they know everybody. They're better, everybody, better than everybody. They know everything. They have the gnosis, the special knowledge, the secret knowledge, the revelation, the plan for the universe. And they get to enact it on us. We don't get to enact our will because we are stupid and don't know it. Yeah. Those people are the enemy. And everybody who knows that we're not those people are on the same team. Well, there's another, there's another layer to this that I wanted to bring up because, you know, if you guys don't believe in God, you have to understand the, the very powerful people in charge, they believe in something. There's a reason they go to the Bohemian Grove. There's a reason they hang out with uh, Marina Brovermich and do spirit cooking. There's a reason they <laughs> hang out with all these devil worshiper Satanists and they do horrible things on private islands that we can't even speak about on this show. So there is a spiritual war happening right now, whether you could deny it or not, but well, it's happening and it's here and I religion agree. is, is, is well, a part of that war. Let's talk about young people because what you're, what you're all basically saying is main character syndrome, which I think we're seeing a lot of in millennials and some Gen Z where people think, Nothing outside of me matters. Mm. I also think, to a certain degree, we're seeing this in every generation. And, and, and the way I see it manifest is when police officers go to, say, say, say there's a, a, an all-ages drag event in Texas where they're explicitly engaging in, you know. These last few years have not been easy on our economy. And with tax season finally arriving, there will be millions of hardworking people and businesses that could struggle even more due to the IRS working against them and pocketing profits for themselves. America First Tax Group can help put an end to your worries. Just one phone call to 800-431-5684 and you'll be in touch with America First Tax Group, a full-service tax company that'll fight the IRS's predatory tactics and put you on the path to financial freedom. Their experts can help you or your business with any tax-related problems you may have, from dealing with your back taxes to granting you access to tax relief and much more. 
Don't wait. Get in touch with America First Tax Group today by calling 800-431-5684. That's 800-431-5684. Or visit AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Tucker. Again, 800-431-5684 or AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Tucker. Things inappropriate for kids. And I'm, I'm talking about what we just saw in San Antonio with, with simulated sodomy and things like that. There should be no question that the police would go in there and say, hey, you can't do this, but they're not willing to do it. And I think because even for these police officers, many who are probably in their 30s or a little older, are like, I'm not getting involved. They're going to get mad at me. I'm going to get yelled at. So it's not just main character syndrome. It's also, I'm not going to risk myself for whatever this is. And if we don't have a cohesive culture where people are willing to stand up for each other, then it just falls apart, or maybe it already did. I, I mean, this is that unconventional warfare. This is what they do in unconventional warfare. They make these provocations. Drag queens are a provocation. It's been an escalating provocation. First, they're just dressing up in kind of somewhat, you know, careful dress with their clown makeup, groomer clowns or whatever, reading stories. Next thing you know, Tim and I were talking about this yesterday. Next thing you know, they're, they're, they're dancing, they're grinding, they're sexual dancing, they're twerking. The next thing you know, they're doing simulated sex acts in front of children. And they're at the, every step of the way, this is what Tim was saying to me yesterday, so this is Tim's credit, gets the credit for this, is every step of the way they're saying, no, 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 it's just this. No, 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 it's just this. Escalate, escalate, escalate. This is an unconventional warfare tactic to provoke. The goal, you guys remember George Floyd. The goal is to have drag Floyd. And I'm serious. This is deadly yep. serious. We, it, Dave it, Chappelle speaks I'll, about this all the time, especially when it comes to uh, dressing actors in drag. Uh, but it even goes bigger because Balenciaga was not an accident. What was happening there was a deliberate escalation of the culture war of them bragging how far they could take it. I agree. I agree. The, the West was largely built on a biblical principle, and James agrees, on distinctions. A distinction between God and man, a distinction between man and nature, a distinction between adult and child. The Bible at its best is a book of distinctions, understanding your place in the world. America understood this. It's why we're the freest, greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world. Everything the deconstructionists are trying to do right now, from citizen and police officer to rule of law versus anarchy is to destroy distinctions, especially when it comes to children. They do not believe that there should be any different treatment when it comes to children sexually or biologically, medically. They must destroy the distinctions. This is part of their theological, really screwed up view. What is the defender of a distinction? A courageous citizen. It's up for us to say, no, 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 we are going to have the distinction between an adult and a child. We are going to have the distinction between God and man. We are going to have a distinction. I In fact, that's what keeps us free. It is the distinction. I want to say one thing. To, to James, you said the credit goes to me. I disagree. When the drag queen story hour stuff started, everyone started saying, hey, this is grooming. And the immediate defense from the left was, no, 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 they're just reading books. And you'd come out and you'd say, yeah, but drag queen performances are removal of clothes, accepting of cash on stage, it's very akin to bikini bars or stripping. And they'd say, it's just reading a book. Then they started doing all ages drag dance shows. And they say, it's just dancing, it's just dancing. And that's how they move you increment by increment to the point now where we saw in, I think it was San Antonio, where they actually had exposed fake breasts in front of children. They had men simulating sodomy. And then the craziest thing is there's a journalist on Twitter right now arguing with, with I think Taylor Hansen's name, saying, uh, or is it Tyler, I don't know, Taylor, saying um, it didn't happen, you edited, it's a fake video, despite the fact there's a dozen of them, now they're moving into denial. The craziest thing about this, and I want to give a shout out to Project Veritas, when they did, and give Project Veritas money, I mean that because they, they're a nonprofit and they rely on uh, everyone's support for doing this, when they put out this video from Chicago where the dean of students is talking about kink education for children Francis in a school, Parker, yeah. Francis Parker School, 
I'm getting from the people I know on the left, they're saying, but Tim, it's just sex ed. And I'm like, no, 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 hold on. It's just. Teaching children about reproduction when you think it's appropriate for them is very different from teaching them how to lube something for kink. That is something totally different, and that's what we're seeing with these all-ages drag shows. I mean, that's why I made those podcasts back in October, November last year. I called them groomer schools. And it's just been, you know, I, of course, got blasted off of Twitter for this. Back on Twitter. Thanks, Elon. Uh, (laughs) Don't cuck this up now. Um, (laughs) My gosh. So here I am, and I think somebody backstage owes me money because I said that. But anyway, (laughs) anyway, what I did was I've, I've just been... Proved right again and again and again. Okay, okay, Grimmer, okay, Grimmer. And the goal is this, again, this escalating, I said, unconventional warfare. This is so important. I talked to Tim early this year, the first time I went on the show this year with Tim, I was like, listen, political warfare is the most important concept you've never heard of. Unconventional warfare, political warfare, this mid-level violence provocation is so critical to understand because they're giving you a choice. They put a drag queen, oh, it's just a story. Oh, it's just dancing. And what you're going to do is you're either going to give in, at which point they're going to enter into their generative themes, educational method into living queerly, strategic defiance. This is straight out of their literature that they say is the real goal of Drag Queen Story Hour. We're going to leave a trail of glitter that will never come out of the carpets, the last sentence in that paper, talking about your kids' brains. And then either you give into it and they get to do that, or you go too hard and you, you mess up and they make a video of you looking bad, and then they start trying to smear you as an anti-groomer or as rising anti-LGBT hate. This is the thought-terminating cliche, so people don't think about it. Oh, that's bad. Don't think. Don't ask questions. Just stop and say the person who did that's bad. And the goal is to get you to give in so they get their way or overreact, and that's where I say drag Floyd. It's so important to understand that they want a drag queen to get attacked. And they want to make a huge amount of hay of it, and they want to create summer 2020 again off of a drag queen or a trans person or something like this. Meanwhile, what are they peppering the environment with? This is called, in unconventional warfare, operational preparation of the, of the environment. It used to be operational preparation of the battlefield. That's why the intelligence community is being involved in this is so critical. They know this stuff. And what are they doing? Oh, stochastic terrorism, stochastic terrorism, stochastic terrorism. Everybody who talks about this is a stochastic terrorist. It's only a matter of time till till there's violence. And what do all the articles do? They wrap it up. They're like, oh, James Lindsay, Tim Poole, Jack Posobiec, all these people, they're saying groomer. Marjorie Taylor Greene saying groomer. Lauren Boebert, groomer. These people are going to cause violence. They're going to have stochastic terrorism. And then what are they going to do? Oh, and Elon Musk let them all back on Twitter. So then they're going to get control back of the media so they can keep control of the dialogue and of the narrative. Do you see that there is a strategy? There is a plan. They, they have a plan. This can be beaten just by calling it out ahead of time so they look like jerks when they do it. They're going to try to get control. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, of course, of course. And they may or may not get it. But if you don't know that this is happening to you, you're standing in what they might call the wizard circle with a spell cast on you. Don't how, know what's how can going you on. say they're trying to get control? They removed Trump from office. No, by the anymore. way, by the way, on his watch. With Twitter, with it, Twitter it, specifically. Elon Musk, they're going to blow out Elon Musk. That's what I'm saying. A hundred percent. You think he's over there in Qatar begging for money because the thing, all the advertisers are cutting him off. He's bleeding cash. He said today, was it, that Twitter could be bankrupt by May. Or okay. since May, it's been heading towards bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. Yeah. Since May, it's heading towards bankruptcy. The thing's, what, bleeding five or seven million dollars a year? A day. A day. Excuse me. Yeah. They're in control. They're in control right now. Fair point. The administrative state controls the federal government. It's far bigger and in more parts of of our life than anybody ever imagined. And you know the- Leviathan, and it's got to be confronted. We can't, and you can't confront it with half measures anymore. You have to take it on. That's why you gotta choke it down and say, hey, 
We're going to zero the FBI. The FBI gets no money whatsoever. <laughs> zero. Yeah. Okay? The Department of Justice, look at this. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Pre and the ATF. Pre and the DEA. I know we're at the Tim Pool Show with, with the great uh, co-host, but this is a relatively conservative audience, and they're cheering to defund the FBI because they understand the FBI is the modern American Gestapo. Yeah. Defund everything and the Parks Department. Specifically, uh, the Parks Department. I'm concerned but, but, but about. Anyway, I just wanted to add one more, one more single point about because this latest trip by uh, Elon Musk is also very telling with the optics, with him being seen with Jared Kushner, the guy who, of course, lobbied against Trump's very populist policies, the guy who, of course, advocated for the bombing of a sovereign country and got it done, the guy who, of course, negotiated better weapons deals for Saudi Arabia. He was there with him. So that kind of brings up to the point what Bannon was making here that there is a possibility that there is some bigger money moves being made here. Well, for sure. You said earlier, Steve, just a minute ago, that the uh, administrative state controls the government. But I wonder where they get their money. The entire government needs money. The Federal, getting, the federal Reserve. And where does the Federal Reserve get their money? They, they hit thing. They hit a thing and create it. Well, they it's get it from a Swiss, the Swiss bank, Swiss. the federal, the, the bank for international settlements. It's well, that, a Swiss bank that deals out to all these federal reserves around the world. And so we're basically being run by this global banking cartel at the moment. But not rem totally, not but, psychologically. But remember, the Federal Reserve, as the head of the cartel, just hits F9 and creates it. Okay? They just created, they are putting you, everybody in this audience under 35 years old is nothing more than a Russian serf. You don't own anything and you're not going to own anything. They but give you'll you, be happy. You'll be happy. They give you a little <laughs> bit of credit and they put you on the wheel of samsara like a hamster, right? You just spin and you maybe get a little bit more. But right now, even family formation is later because it's tough. It's tough for a couple even to make it. They've, the, the, they've taken, what, $13.5 trillion of net worth out of this economy, out of our middle class and working class in the last nine months. The Federal Reserve, here's the scam. The Federal Reserve just creates it, just creates it. It's not backed by any bonds. They, don't, they can't sell bonds to Japanese insurance companies or the Chinese. Nobody buys it. They create, they call monetize the debt. That means it's on your, you are the full faith and credit of the United States. They create it. And the, the administrative state, they'll take all of it they can get. How do you think we got $31 trillion on the, on the, on the Treasury, $9 trillion on the Fed, another $30 trillion on Social Security and, and Medicaid, and another and contingent liabilities of $100 trillion? Because the administrative state has a funding mechanism. It's called the Federal Reserve. We have to end the Fed. We should not have, if you want freedom, from the founding of the country, from the founding of the country into the founding of the Federal Reserve, almost the entire 19th century was about populism in the fight over currency and the definition of money and who created it. And they stopped that because they realized the populist movement yep. was starting to get traction with William Jennings Bryan and others. Right? After, after Andrew Jackson and Lincoln being a national, they said, we got to stop that. Okay? The way they stopped it was the Federal Reserve. We have to, to take down the administrative state, we have to grab the Federal Reserve by the neck and choke it down. Right now, it's owned by, do you understand your currency's owned by 31 banks, 31 prime brokers own the Federal Reserve, create it and make money off it, and you live like a pauper? This can't happen. We need a revolution in this country. 
And this revolution's got to go. This revolution's got to go to the railhead of where the money is. We got to take control of the Federal Reserve and choke down the administrative state. And anybody that's not on that program is nothing more than controlled opposition. Can we? We almost had that. And Tim, you were on the front lines of this, and I, you talk about this really well. But let me just kind of hand it off to you in a sec, because I'd love your thoughts. The Occupy movement saw it correctly yes. in one way and incorrectly in another way. Tea Party movement was happening almost simultaneously because there was a series of decisions that were made by Hank Paulson, Timothy Geithner, Ben Bernanke, all after the 08 crisis. They could have allowed the system to recorrect, not put in all this fake money, but they made a decision, and they knew exactly what they were doing. Modern monetary theory, baby, $800 billion of stimulus, which used to be a lot of money, and we're going to engage in a decade-long sugar high, and the only way we're going to end is in a currency reset. Bernanke, Hank Paulson, Timothy Geithner, three former Goldman Sachs guys, by the way, knew exactly what was happening. Tea Party movement saw it through a conservative lens. Too big of government. Cut the taxes. We don't like it. Occupy saw it through more of a left-wing lens. They were both seeing the same thing, said it differently. Trump was the only candidate to be able to capitalize. You might disagree, Tim. A, a little bit, a little bit. So... How did I end up at Occupy Wall Street? I was on 4chan, and there was something called Operation Empire State Rebellion, which had nothing to do with left or right. It was hacktivists, and it was, I don't know, just random people on 4chan who were saying, like, hey, you know, we've got an issue with what's going on with the big, big bailouts. Our lives were being screwed over. The economy's in the gutter. And so that somehow merged with a handful of leftists who were organizing some kind of Occupy Wall Street. When I go down there for the first time, I was there within the first couple of days, there was nobody there. There was a handful of people standing in the rain. But that next weekend, which was the second weekend of Occupy, I saw old people with American flags. A, an old couple sitting on a couch with an American flag behind their, about their back. They said they were conservatives. We all saw many libertarians. I met Luke down at Occupy Wall Street. The problem is, I think a lot of the people on the right immediately assumed that it was like a leftist, liberal, or something wrong. And so what happens? That first weekend is big. Second weekend is bigger. But people who have jobs, people who are conservative and libertarian were like, I've got to leave and I've got to go home. And the only people who were able to yeah, stick around right. were Marxists, trust fund kids, well off. And so the left ended up taking everything over. Well, and so just, just to add on to this, though, so Trump and Bernie Sanders ran the same type of campaign simultaneously. And because they were both seeing the symptoms of this sugar high money cycle of fewer and fewer people getting really rich. Bernie came at it from an outright Marxist view. Trump came at it from a populist nationalist view. And Bernie Sanders should have really been the nominee in 2016, but Hillary Clinton rigged the game. Trump became the nominee and obviously won in a shocking fashion. What we are now living through 14 years later is the economic catastrophe of Timothy Geithner and Ben Bernanke and Hank Paulson. But here's the thing, and this is why James Lindsay's work is so incredible. These corporations think they are immune to criticism and revolution because they have wokeness as a shield. They have an iron dome. They think they are protected from criticism because they can say men can become pregnant, white people are evil. Wokeism is the only thing they have left protecting them from hundreds of millions of people realizing that they're robber barons against the civilization. The first time I encountered the wokeness, whatever, Occupy Wall Street. Initially, you know, I'm down there, and I'm sure Luke has similar experiences. There's a lot of people who are just economic populists. They say, I don't know, the two parties are bad, whatever. But then all of a sudden, these, these organizers started gaining more and more traction who believed in the progressive stack and white men are evil. There's a good comic that embodies this, and it's a rich guy in a big chair with protesters outside saying, we are the 99%, and he's on the phone saying, introduce them to identity politics. All of a sudden, wokeness started taking over, 
And then from there, I started, I started seeing it get bigger and bigger. And you know what, for me, I didn't think much of it other than these people are weirdos, despite the fact that I remember one night there was, there was a, a, a young black guy who was watching all of this happen, and I overheard him say, y'all are crazy. You're segregating people by race? I don't have anything to do with this. Occupy actually created their organizational structure based around your race. Picture this. You're driving on the open road, taking in the beautiful views this country offers. Then out of nowhere, you hear a noise and your car breaks down. While still frustrating, you feel protected because you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield has helped millions of drivers from having to pay back-breaking car repair costs. All you have to do is call before a breakdown. Plans can pay for expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. All for CarShield's low monthly rate that never goes up as long as you cover your car. With a plan through CarShield, you get protection on over 5,000 major parts and systems with just a visit to carshield.com carlson. I'm talking big money items like your transmission, engine, electronics, and so much more. CarShield is here to keep you moving forward and make car breakdowns and the repairs that follow just a tiny bump in the road. Go to carshield.com slash carlson. Protect yourself from the unprecedented rise in costs for parts and repairs. Visit now to save 20%. carshield.com slash carlson. That's carshield.com slash carlson. They put all the black people in one group, all the Latinos, all the Asians. Oh yeah, it was. It, and, and I, I was, wonder why it fell apart. <laughs> no wonder, right? Yeah. And then over a period of time, there was the upper class and the lower class divided by two different areas of the park where they were fighting and segregated with each other. Park. And, and I truly That's do true. believe, I, I yep. truly do believe that there was a larger hijacking of this movement because when it began, there was people doing weekly, even sometimes in the beginning, daily walks and protests at the Federal Reserve down in New York City, down on Wall Street. They came down there and they were like, hey guys, this is not just about uh, left or right. This is about the big banks, the banks that are screwing us over, the banks that are robbing us of our wealth, robbing us of any potential future. This is the creature from Jekyll Island that came in and is dominating and destroying our society because what else could you say that they did during 2008 other than a blind robbery of the American people? I went up to Ben Bernanke and I asked him, how does it feel organizing one of the largest bailouts in recorded human history for all your banker buddies, giving them trillions of dollars? The SOB tried to grab my microphone and rip it away from me, <laughs> and he didn't say a word. Then I asked him about the Bilderberg Group. He didn't want to talk about that either. No surprise there. But, but these people are, are, are criminals. These people are essentially, people don't, don't notice this, inflation is one of the biggest taxes levied on the American people. We are going through yes. essentially what is your wealth being taken away from you every single day by these banksters. And unless you're focusing on the big banks, you're not focusing on the big problems. It's one big picture. I, yeah, didn't, I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to say hurry up. I was saying, no, 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 like it's, it's no, no, all no, no, no. ESG, I mean, this is, great this, reset. This connects, yeah, this is everything. If you, this is what you got to understand. ESG is, is a tool so they can protect the banks by creating a social credit system for yep. the corporations. They all do the same thing. Organized that, by the top bankers. That's right, that's yep. right. And what they learned, when Charlie brought up wokeness a minute ago and gave me a very kind compliment, what he... What you also don't realize is the reason I do what I do is because of the progressive stack, as it turns out. It's a little bit funny. I'll tell you in a second. Biggest audience I've ever had a chance to tell this story to. I get asked about it all the time. But what they learned in 2008 is that wokeness works. Wokeness gives them a sword and a shield at the same time. Wow. And that they can wield that and protect themselves. They can go out and break up a movement like Occupy by bringing identity politics and wokeness into it. And meanwhile, look like the super virtuous people who care about gay people and have a rainbow on their, on their, <laughs> on their shield. This is what they learned. But it turns out, by the way, you brought the progressive stack. Why am I studying wokeness? Why did I dedicate my life to studying this crap? So I'm writing this fake paper back in 2017 about education. I've told this story a few times. How I got there is another story. 
And I'm writing this paper, and we, we say what we need to do is put a progressive stack in all the classrooms. What we got to do is we got to take all the kids and the, the, the college students, if they're adults, and if they have, we're going to do the progressive stack walk or the, the, the privilege walk. We're going to find out what their privilege is. We're going to we're going to chain them to the floor if they have too much privilege. We're going to make sure that they suffer, that they're abused, that they're put into the learning environment of discomfort to overcome their privilege. And then we said, but we're going to do it compassionately because we're writing funny hoax papers that they didn't think they would accept. And the peer reviewers reviewed this paper. This is how gone academia is. They reviewed this paper and said we love this idea, but you can't use compassion because that would recenter the needs of the privileged. You have to focus on more discomfort, the pedagogy of discomfort from this woman, Megan Buller, which we hadn't heard of at the time, so we get this book and read it. It's called Feeling Power. It's insane. And I was like, holy crap, this is where, I mean, this, is, this, is a, this isn't just crazy. This is a genocide in the making down the road. If you are saying that you're going to abuse people out of their privilege, score them by their, abuse them out of their privilege, and you must use discomfort and no compassion once you've been identified as privileged. This is a danger. So I said, maybe I was wrong about that. I'm not claiming that's what it is. Don't get, don't get me wrong. That was my thought. And I thought, I have to study this for the rest of my life and expose this. And what Charlie said is why. Because wokeness is the sword and the shield that they have that allows them to protect. It's the last thing they have that allows them to keep this criminal front going. I want to bring up one point to what Charlie said, because I'm very happy you brought up Occupy Wall Street, because uh, Occupy Wall Street, I do believe, scared the establishment. I do believe the movement was hijacked. But that's one thing that changed. Another thing that changed was the way that the corporate media had their conversations. And we saw a very big rise with uh, organizations like the New York Times start implementing a lot of their woke policies right after Occupy Wall Street, because what better way to develop divide and conquer a population that, of course, have them infighting against each other so they don't truly see the true source of their problems. And that's exactly what exactly happened. It. They want Americans fighting each other. That's right. They want you hating each other. They want you divided. They want you angry. They want you pissed off. And, and the best way to not engage is to not play long with their bullcrap. So the challenge is for us, we're anti-woke. You know, we say, hey, don't divide people based on race or, or these, these immutable characteristics. Let's, let's, let's let people be who, their character, their merit, etc. But now the battle is, that's the division, Luke. It's the people who want to divide versus the people who don't want to divide creating this weird division. <laughs> and they brand themselves as unity. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that, would that just be perfect, right? Well, so um, my question for you, James, I guess, is if this is their sword and their shield, does it end by just collapsing in front of them? Or does it, what, is, what does it become? Is there a way that the establishment successfully wields this to their advantage in the end? Well, I, I, mean, I think wokeness is actually now turning to their disadvantage. People are seeing it, it has been exposed, people are getting upset. I told uh, some of my friends and colleagues back in 2019 that if they ever went full into the queer theory, so unleash the drag queens, that they had shot themselves in the head and it's only a matter of time until the thing falls over. People aren't gonna put up with that for very long. They're gonna, and it doesn't mean that you have to go do something in, 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 in you know, something crazy. It's not what I mean by saying that people aren't gonna put up with it. They're gonna see through that this is fake. This is fake, so then what happens? We start to have these media wars, they start banning people off. Everything that they're doing is actually just kind of this accumulation of weight that's causing that thing to fall down. So they have the sword and the shield, but it's getting dull. The shield is getting soft, and eventually we're going to hit a critical mass, and that's how it always works. That's why Steve's always pointing to you and saying that you're the solution, that yes. you're the answer, that you are, uh, what's your word for it, Steve? The, the, you always call them the, the I thought Praetorian Guard, that's wrong. Oh, the force multiplier? <laughs> the force the... multiplier, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, look, it, 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 the big, their biggest fear right now is that you come to conferences like this, you get smarter, and not just that, it's applied knowledge. 
the reason they're trying to take out everybody and de-platform everybody and stop it all and take, you know, go after Tucker and go after everybody is because they fear you. Yeah. That's right. They That's understand right. they haven't had a true populist uprising in this country in its history, right? Not a true populist uprising. The only way to defeat it is a populist uprising, and that is you. So, so one of the ways I think that it's going to be exploited is economic Marxists on the left, when they start to realize the people they were indoctrinated to hate are actually running the political party that they're affiliated with, when that is exploited, all of a sudden there will be a massive schism on the American left. Wokeism and people that are legitimate Bolsheviks that believe in the economics of Marxism but are not as enthused on the race Marxist stuff, that is going to be a schism because the vast majority of Americans see that it's harder than ever to buy a home, that consumer debt is increasing, that your money is becoming worthless. Those messages are going to resonate like wildfire in the coming months, the coming years, especially as now I think we're going to hit a mass unemployment cycle. What's less and less popular is hearing about privilege walks or hearing about pan-trans awareness day or drag queen story hour. Again, wokeism is a smokescreen grenade. It is trying to confuse you. It's a shock bang grenade to try to say, I don't know what direction things are. As soon as the, the economics of this will hit everybody's pocketbook in the coming months. That's why they're so afraid. They're afraid that the woke ideas are becoming largely unpopular and that the economic reality that's about to set in is going to unite almost everybody on the right, on the left, to point at the uniparty and say, you've been stealing from us for the last couple decades. And I'm and not okay with that. And disenfranchising us from our own country. Yes. Disenfranchising us from our own country. That's so important to understand that we're being disenfranchised from our own country. But do you think, James, that this economic crisis will overcome the cult mentality that, ex that exists among so many of these people on the left? I mean, people don't just shake out of cults, man. I mean, that's yeah. Leon Festinger, right? He infil infiltrates the UFO cult. The UFO doesn't come. What a big surprise. There's no UFO. And then what did, what did people do? They said, well, it came spiritually and, like, turned around. Because, <laughs> I mean, it, it, this is – so the people who are, are fully brainwashed by this, the, they, are, they need help. And I mean it. It's really not going to be good for them. What will happen, though, is that most of the people that are supporting it, most of the people that are putting their black square on their profile or whatever, aren't that committed. They're not actually fully bought into the cult. They're confused. And when things start to shake, they're going to start to see that this isn't what they thought it was. And a lot of them will start to come back to reality. When you break the active measure, when you break the PSYOP, when you turn off the television, people's brains start to readjust to the reality in front of them. And this starts to happen when reality shocks them back. Most of them, and enough for the key word I said earlier, is a critical mass of people. That's where you're going to get this, this uprising Steve's talking about. This is when you have a critical mass of people who say, nope, no more. Then it's going to be, everything's going to start to change, and it's going to change very quickly. We have to keep pressing to get to that point. We have to keep making it more clear with the see-through-the-smoke grenade, the, the flashbang. You have to keep doing this. But wokeness is an increasing liability for them, and because of people like you, it's going to keep being an increasing liability for them, and they're not going to be able, they're going to try to get rid of it as hard as they can when it gets to that point. But James, it's, it's, it's not the TV anymore. It's big tech social media. I mean, that and, was and, a, an and, and just a few days ago, I know, I'm not trying to correct <laughs> It was you. a metaphor. I'm, I'm trying to make a bigger statement here because just a few days ago, we finally got the receipts that it was the intelligence agencies that were pretty much controlling big tech social media. Oh, yeah. I don't think this is something new. I think this was happening for a very long time. And when you're able to shape social media, you're able to shape the minds of the people. Oh, yeah. And this is why since uh, the on 
onset of Barack Obama, I was like, this is the beginning of a larger divide-and-conquer agenda. We saw the destruction of Occupy Wall Street. We've seen the rhetoric change on, of course, the, the mainstream media. But on social media, it was left versus right, black versus white, old versus old, old versus young, male versus female. We, we saw this weaponized in echo chambers. We saw this weaponized with algorithms. And I do believe that intelligence agencies had a play on this, engineering this larger conflict where we are right now, talking about pronouns and genders rather than holy crap, there's not going to be enough money to pay for heat or food soon. So that's the, an issue that I think really needs to be honed in on. The open secret in Silicon Valley is these social media companies are almost impossible to make profitable because of the server costs and the staff costs. So the question that needs to be answered is, did the intelligence agencies enter during the venture round of Facebook? I, I think I so, especially with QIntel, especially with a lot of the other organizations that invested a lot of the money there, especially when it came to Alphabet and Google, getting all those contracts, getting all those lucrative deals, getting all those tax incentives, get all, get all that money back. They unfairly were able to go to the top because they were connected with all the intelligence agencies that brought them there. It wasn't an accident. I This is the question I had about Twitter that I was, was uh, mentioning early on with Elon Musk. Did he see government involvement and then say, oh, no? But the bigger question then when we start re uh, realizing with the Twitter leaks, the Twitter files, that the FBI actually paid Twitter. And uh, granted, it was like $3.8 or something. What is that like? No, 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 no. But you got to count the vaccine advertisements. You got to count the no, Go right. Army ads. You got to count all the federal government capital right, flows because right, right. they'll bundle those together. That's hundreds of millions of dollars. But so, so here's, here's the point I, was, I wanted to make. The other day, it was Elon who responded to Ian Miles Chong, who said, in order for Twitter to be profitable, it has to become a platform for creators of video and writing. And Elon said something like, true. And I say, no, that's not true. I'm sorry. I mean, it's, it's somewhat true. You do need to have a good platform that people can use, you can monetize. But uh, right now, we're not only in this convention center, we're on YouTube. YouTube subsidized. YouTube, the, the, the cost of live streaming this show, we could never make enough money off the show to actually pay for. So it's a, weird, it's a weird situation where the big tech social media companies are subsidized, and I've always wondered, where does that money come from? There is a theory of, remember when Facebook went public and they had this meteoric crash? I mean, were they trying to make certain investors disappear in a public market of an exchange, and it didn't exactly go right? Interesting. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you think, like... I'm not thinking, I'm just asking a question. It was the most fumbled IPO in modern history, and you got to wonder, that's also the company that is probably in bed with every intelligence agency. And it was an IPO that didn't just miss by $10. You remember, it was supposed to debut at like $50 a share right. and cratered to $18. We were like, what happened? I wonder why. They have the best banks doing their IPO. Right. Remember, the creation of these companies come out of the top engineering schools in the country, right? The, the top engineers, the top computer scientists, you know, at Stanford, at MIT, and yeah, all of those universities are essentially adjuncts to the national security state, okay? They're all underwritten. The universities today are virtually underwritten by the U.S. government and federal funds. Almost all of that is tied back to some sort of national security state. So the engineers themselves, the engineering has all been underwritten. When these things first start, the venture capital companies that put it in, the hedge fund companies, most of these have strong relationships to the federal government in the national security state, okay? This is all a piece, one piece of a whole cloth, okay? And then you talk about the contracts and how the revenue goes and all that. It all comes through either the biomedical security state or the national security medical state, which we've, or state, which we've kind of seen the convergence of during the CCP COVID-19 virus, right? 
So this, these are all adjuncts. And by the way, Facebook is going to be 10 times or 20 times worse than Twitter, okay? Because yep. the platform's bigger. You're going to see more and more involvement, and you're going to see more and more involvement in this. They actually say, the, the people there in, 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 uh, in uh, Dorsey, that this was a government-controlled operation. Twitter is a crime scene, and it is an intelligence op, okay? From day one. Yep. From the core of its being at the very engineering schools where it started. And it's That's what I'm saying, the administrative state. To, to, to break this, to take this out root and branch is a 10, 20, or 30-year project where you're on it every day, okay? Because it's taken them since essentially World War II, right, to build the national security state. And this is not going to be easy, but it's everywhere, right? And it's particularly in our universities. That's why the universities, the, the railheads of wokeness right now, right? The great universities of the University of Texas. Of You can look at Arizona State right here, okay. right? These are the railheads of wokeness. Why? Because they're living off government money. They're adjuncts. They're just, they're just outposts. They're, they're the new weapons labs of Sandia and Lawrence Livermore, right? The old nuclear power weapons labs, the new weapons labs are social media weapons created by these universities in conjunction with the national security in the biomedical security state. So uh, we saw that uh, video from Project Veritas a while back. This, uh, this employee saying, I work, what, four hours a week? He's getting paid six figures. We see Elon Musk come in and he's like, these people are doing nothing and they're getting paid all this money. And I think about that and I think about uh, this, this old thing that I read where the reason why there's so many people named Smith is because when wars were breaking out, the blacksmiths were spared the war. They, they wouldn't go fight and if they were captured, they'd be spared because they can make weapons. The people who made the weapons were extremely valuable and the, and the kings and the rulers would keep them comfortable so they could keep producing powerful tools for them. And then you look at these big tech companies completely overpaid with money, who knows where it comes from. They barely work, why? They're making the modern weapons. Well, I, we should take a, a quick step back and say, well, why, why would they do this, right? The weapons, why are we making social media weapons? Turns out, this thing Charlie was talking about a minute ago, my favorite paper criticizing what's called social-emotional learning, which is this whole brainwashing program the left is replacing education with. That's a can of worms we don't have to get into right now. But there's this paper that criticizes it from the left. It's my favorite paper that criticizes SEL as a paper written from an old school critical Marxist. And so what he writes is that the purpose of this kind of narrative control, he calls the paper uh, psychodata. And what you are most valuable, what's most valuable about you to this regime is your data. Why? Because they can control you with it. We don't need a dollar backed by gold or oil. We can have a dollar backed by you giving them something that's very valuable to them, which is the data used to control you. So he says that they're, we're talking about the algorithms, not just TV, right? The algorithms on your social media, they can feed you, they can nudge you with what they call nudge theory, how you're supposed to think, how you're supposed to feel. The goal of this entire operation with social media is to create the environment in which they can do this psychological pushing, nudging of you into different kinds of decision trees that you might not have taken otherwise so they can control you. And this guy, Ben Williamson, he's a leftist, writes this paper saying this social emotional learning program in schools, this is what this is for. It's to gather massive amounts of data. It's to use this data to control people to make them perfectly predictable economic consumers, perfectly controllable uh, 
political subjects and to control everybody basically completely all the time at the level of what he calls a psychocracy, a government through their psychology. So they think they're thinking for themselves, but they're thinking what the algorithm taught them to think. And you therefore don't even have freedom of thought. This is his fear of what this is. This is what this is for. This is the kind of weapon that they want to build. This is a left-wing critique, like Charlie was predicting, would be coming down the pike. And what he says is that this is horrible and it's awful and we have to watch out. This is a leftist saying this. And then what does he point to? He said, well, where does this come from? Who's funding it? And he's like, well, we go through it. It's very easy. The World Economic Forum is funding it. <laughs> the United Nations is behind it. The World Bank is at the dead center of all of it. You can, all of the players we're always talking about are the people that are behind this huge push, whether it's through social emotional learning in the schools, whether it's through the algorocracy of government by algorithm through the social media. And this is, again, we come back to Elon. All of a sudden he's going to, he's just this dude. He's a rocket guy. He's going to go, rocket man is going to, Kicks Elon, or kicks uh, Elton John off of Twitter or whatever. Uh, Rocket Man comes in, and uh, he's going to go build new algorithms that are fun. And he has jokes, and he wants memes, and he's going to build these algorithms that are not under their control, and they freak out. But we had, a, I think it was Phil Labonte who was on the show, and he made a good point. He said, with Neuralink, <laughs> there is going to be a chip in your brain that gives you the tiniest dopamine hit that you don't even realize when you when you're nudged just in the right direction. So you're a regular person living a normal life. They're not gonna come out and say, get rid of all your stuff, oh, nothing. You're just gonna sell something for cash and it's gonna feel good. And before you realize it, they, have, they are pushing everybody with this control, with this chip. Maybe it's a little far-fetched to say just right now, but that's Wait, a fear of how is that any go. different than scrolling through Instagram, though? Yeah, exactly, you get, exactly. You, you get your hearts on your thing, right? That's right. You got a heart, yeah, oh my I mean, God, 300 likes. And, 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 it's and it's I all mention. dopaminergic manipulation, and, that's and, right. And van life. Remember that big trend on YouTube, Van Life, where they're promoting all of these these, these yeah. young couples who that, are that poor girl was, died doing that. Gabby, there, Gabby something, yeah. There was a uh, article that we read about a woman who said, "I retired at 36," and then when you read it, you realize one, she didn't actually retire; she's still working, and two, she lives in a van or she's traveling on a nomadic lifestyle. Yeah, when people think of retiring, they think of they had a family, they have a house, they have a front yard, or something at least to that effect. It's about, it's, about, to... it's about social engineering so people accept their slavery because throughout human history, there, there always was some kind of despot or psychopath trying to take over the world. And I think the really smart ones realized, hey, it takes a lot of time and effort to, to kill a lot of people. And I think in our modern society, what better way to take over society than, of course, have people enslave themselves? And I think yes, that's exactly right. what's happening right. right now. And I think bullets have been replaced with tweets. Yes. Bombs have been replaced with yes. videos. And right now we are being engineered in fifth generational warfare in order to destroy the free human spirit. But, and that's the bigger fight that's happening right and, now that people need to realize more and, than ever. And this is why I always say violence doesn't work because it's something they know how to control. It's something they know how to manipulate. They know that it instills fear and is a weapon for them. That doesn't mean it's easy to combat. It just means you need to understand the weapons they're using and it's psychological manipulation. Yeah, you make better technology. Basically, social media is not a weapon at, on its face. It's a powerful force that can be weaponized. And it has been, unfortunately, by... It looks like Alphabet, Meta, Twitter, these things. But Minds, for instance, we would sit around and have ethics conversations with how addictive should we make this technology? It's 88% too much for me. I, can't, I don't want people constantly on it. I want them to use it for the function that it's deserved. And Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. 
Uh, you could have made it 100%. I could, you could. You can make it like a, an addictive, you make it 101, something that someone's never even seen. They didn't, it's more powerful than what you thought could be the most addictive substance on earth. It's not ethical. We don't take information at mines. We don't want your data because it can be, it can be scraped. The key, I think, is open source code so you know what the code is telling people and uh, you want access to your data and you want to limit, you want to opt in when you want to opt in, you don't want them to harvest you're, your you're, metrics. You're basically saying power to the people. And I think people should own their, their own data and make money off of it. Let, let me contribute some optimism though because the Neuralink thing is real, the manipulation of people, and, and people are looking for, for hope. And one piece- People just screamed graphene, by the way. Just the heads <laughs> up, sorry. I, so that's I said graphene. That'd be the next hour. That's Ian's thing. Ian's thing oh. is graphene. Sorry, I apologize. Want to talk about graphene? No. I, let's <laughs> keep going, Charlie. <laughs> take floor, floor, baby. No, I was we'll just going to say it's amazing news that 50 million people didn't take the mRNA gene-altering shot. I mean, that goes to show there is a lot more love of freedom out there and liberty despite the force, the incentives, the subsidies, the propaganda, the nudging, the Hollywood celebrities, the nonstop propaganda campaign, it was nothing but difficult to not take that shot. I mean, it was, it, you had to go out of your way, you had to make an intentional decision, and still 50 million people made a decision that this was not Did for you me. Raise your hand if you didn't take the shot. Look at that. Look at the room. <laughs> Look at the room right now. I don't even like calling it the God, shot. But God bless you guys. God bless you. Did you guys? Pure blood. No, no, no. This Pure is, blood. This is the deal. beginning That's of huge. Look at this. That's a big deal. This is the beginning of taking your country back. Do you yeah. understand yeah. the pressure that was put on there? I'm telling you. Your heroes. This is freedom right here. This is 1775. You're Sam Adams. You're John Hancock. Did you guys see the article? But no one here took the shot, right? No, okay, good. No. Don't, don't, don't call it the there. shot. That's their wait, language. Wait, wait. Did you guys see the article that said people who are unvaccinated are more likely to get into car accidents? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel like that's got to be optimism, right? Like the narrative really is broken where that's the best thing they have. To I was going to make a really bad joke, but I decided not to. <laughs> Do it. No. Do it. Come on. We love the cringe. No. We love the cringe. No. But, but, but here's no, the, I'm not going to do that. Here's the, most powerful, <laughs> here's the most powerful thing of it. Look at Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Dr. Robert Malone and McCullough and, and, and Naomi Wolf. These are all people of the left. These are some of the most progressive. Naomi Wolf was one of the most progressive feminists at Yale when she was there. She blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Recently or after? Way back in the day yeah. for being feminist we, fights, yeah. And we've had her on the show. This is my point. Oh, this is a coming together. This is beyond politics. This is the new politics, right? That, that you guys stood up, you men and women, particularly young men and women, stood up and refused to have that with all the pressure, all the society pressure, all the corporate pressure. They brought everything to bear. College. They, had, they were, so, they were kicking kids but out so, of college for not taking it. But, but let me ask you about this then. It's, I feel like it's only possible because of the internet, right? Because social media allows us to have these conversations, to do shows like this. If, if, if these are really tools that are crafted from the get-go by the machine, by the, by the intelligence agencies, are they well, being used by you, us? You know what, th those are methodology. You know why we were able to do it? Because in, in this crowd is handed down the meaning of liberty. That's what it is. There's a kernel in this country that is not prepared, a kernel of in this country is not prepared to be defeated. And you're seeing it. That's why it's a pivot point for us. That's why we're ascended. That's why we're on the move. And yes, and no matter how they deplatformed it, people got to that information, right? Yes. The anarchists, the, the revolutionaries, everybody got to the information and we came together and said, fuck you, right? <laughs> That's exactly right.
Is that the essence of liberty? Yes. yes. That's yeah. the essence yeah. of Hell yeah. What do you think? What did John, what did, what did Sam Adams tell the British Empire? Fuck you, right? <laughs> what did John Hancock say? Fuck you. USA. 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 And the Fed. And the Fed. And the no, Fed. No, no. Can I say something? The, the underlying, and by the way, of every, ethnic, every ethnicity in the melting pot we are, it is a common thing. We believe in liberty and freedom, and at the end of the day, there's a portion of people that will sit there in the cussedness and grit of the American experience and say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this, this, okay? And that this is the beginning of the counter-revolution. This is what I'm wondering, Steve, you and all you guys, I wonder what you think about this. Can we ethically default on the debt to the Federal Reserve? Just say we're not paying you back. 100%. Would that destroy our standing across the, the it world? Most or certainly it certainly would not. We have to force a sovereign. By the way, if you're not going to force a sovereign debt crisis, you guys are going to be more serfs. You've got to be able to stop it. The debt ceiling next year, 2023, are going to be massive fights on the biomedical security state, yes. on, 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 on the economy, on debt, on are you prepared? Remember, it's not that they have to have you accept slavery. They have to have you continue to vote and want slavery, right? That's what 2023 is going to be about. We've beaten them, and the one thing they wanted to do was the biomedical security state. And yes, if we didn't have the internet, and most pr people curious, the curiosity of people to get to hard things like finding your show, finding a Turning Point USA, when we were, when we were broomed from everywhere, finding you when you're off Twitter, people found that information and they acted upon that information. That's the beginning of a revolution. But that's the beginning, that's 1773, baby. I, I, wanna, I wanna reiterate this though. Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Twitter, CDC, Fauci. You have to understand how demoralized they are that they could not get to 95 or 99% submission. Yes. Let's invert all of this, right? People say, Charlie, show me some good news. Show me some good news. They spent hundreds of billions of dollars. They forced every major institution. They took over the military. They took over the colleges. They took over every Fortune 100 business. They stigmatized you. They smeared you. They slandered you. They propagandized you. They ran commercials during football games. They did it to NFL athletes, NBA athletes. And still, they had to go to their room and they said, 50 million people are not going to listen to us even if we force them kick them out of jail, or pay them. In some cities, pay you to do it. Do you remember when, uh, was it de Blasio eating the french fries and the <laughs> cheeseburger? And he was like, mm, this sure is good. He's gotta go. I remember I saw uh, a, a prominent celebrity saying that he went down to a local parking lot, pulled in his car, and got a shot in the arm. And I, I, I was surprised. I said, he tweeted something like, go get the vaccine. And I said, no, no, go talk to your doctor. Go, go talk to your doctor from so, someone you trust medically who's going to give you sound advice. And the response I got from these people was, don't. And so this is the big thing with YouTube, right? They, they tell you, 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 you can't give advice, your podcast is on my, I'm totally cool with that. If you got a doctor who doesn't know anything about your health, don't, that's a bad doctor, go find a good one. I found a good one, Joe Rogan did. But I'm seeing these leftists pull into parking lots at 7-Eleven, have a guy reach in their car, and they were bragging about it. They told me I was wrong. When I said, no, no, just talk to a doctor, don't go to a parking lot at a 7-Eleven, and, and this guy actually said, I just stuck my arm out the window and he injected me. And I said, shouldn't you have a doctor tell you this stuff? But, but it, it's the craziest thing to me that like, 
the, the whole thing about Joe Rogan is that Joe Rogan's saying, go find a doctor who's gonna prescribe this, and they say Joe Rogan's giving medical misinformation. Uh, dude, you know what, man? If you want to go into a parking lot, you live your life, you do your thing. But my recommendation is a, is a doctor who knows well, about this. L let me just prove one more thing. I do this in a lot of events, and the, the biomedical pharma state will never, ever show it. Raise your hand if you know someone who died or had a significant side effect because of the vaccine. Raise your hand. Yeah. Right there, that's an open-air crime scene. Forget, I mean, that, and they say, oh, it's small, it's this. You're talking about millions and millions and millions of people and yet you weren't even allowed to mention on major social media. I, well, I, I believe, you know, the shot was either an IQ test or a compliance test or both, to be honest with you. <laughs> and we have, to, we have to shout out individuals like Kyrie Irving, Aaron Rodgers. I and agree. Individuals Amen. that Amen. stood up and said Amen. enough is enough. Amen. No. My body, my freaking choice. You were singing that all along for years, but now you're going you're gonna to kick that in the, in the bucket? That made absolutely no sense at all. And truly, they tried to take away their banks. They tried to take away their livelihoods. They tried to take away their salaries. They tried to take everything away from these individuals, and they still stood up and made the right decisions, not just for themselves, but for everyone else who knew that they were not alone in this but, bigger fight of consent that the government I'll, wanted you to bend the knee down I'll, for. Allow, allow me to be a, a bit of a milquetoast fence-sitter here and say... My concern is not whether or not um, necessarily, well, let me phrase it this way. I don't want to conflate government overreach with advice from a doctor necessarily. Certainly there are circumstances where we can look at the corporate press and they're all brought to you by Pfizer, brought to you by Pfizer, and we have to have, ask questions about whether or not we're getting real, real advice or if the media is just saying we don't want to piss off our advertisers. But I, I think there's a distinction to be made between what really bothers me is when you're forced to do something with, with ridiculous mandates, unconstitutional mandates, when they, when they threaten to shut down your churches, when they threaten to take away your food, or they try and entice you with Krispy Kremes. I just want to make that distinction, I guess. Well, I just, I'll agree in the sense of, if the vaccine was so great and their ideas were so great, then why did it have to be mandatory? It would have just yep. been this amazing thing that everyone would be talking about. You, you know, that sounds like anarchist talk there. That sounds like a lot like voluntarism. Just a heads up there, well, Charlie. Oh, no. When it be comes careful. to our medical industry, it should be. We're agreeing way too much. I don't want to ruin that. I know. This is that. weird. This is great. I also want to just say this, too, because I know, you know, maybe with this crowd, people will disagree to an extent. To an extent. I think the, the reason so many people probably raise their hand to seeing adverse effects is because, because of the mandates. When you mandate everybody get four shots, the likelihood of adverse effects is going to go up. It's going to skyrocket. Yeah, the reason that they're working on 3D printing medicine is because they can tailor it to your own body. And you, in the future, we will be having medicine specifically for your own genetics. And to put a top-down medicine on a bunch of people, I think, is complete. It's dangerous. And maybe you could argue it's insanity at this point. But, Let me, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you know, I want to ask you guys a moral and ethical question because I've, I've been kind of harping on this for a little bit. And, and I guess I'll ask everybody in the audience, too, because I'm curious your thoughts. If there was a kid who had, let's say, bacterial meningitis, and the doctor prescribed antibiotic, and the, and the, parents, the parents both came and said, we don't, we don't believe in this, you know, this weird science mumbo-jumbo, so we're not going to give this to our kid, should the government intervene and say, we're giving the antibiotic to the kid to save its life? No. So, you know, the question is... I would, I would have no, said yes, but, but I would, no. feel free to disagree. I, I would say no, because in the simple sense of that question is, do you believe the government should mandate medication for you? And the answer for me to that is always hell no, because the government will use and abuse that power in order to hurt people, in order to screw them over, in order to make them the guinea pigs of this larger medical mRNA experiment. And if the government was able to give that child that medication, they could give them the shot, they could give them whatever the hell else they want. And that's, and that's kind of my point. My, the, my point is the, the, the moral lines that we draw as a society, as a, as a culture, in that when you look at something like it's a new medication, it's only been out for a couple of years, if that, 
and the government tries forcing it on people, everybody says no. But when you look at something as simple as an antibiotic for a bacterial infection, a lot of people are going to say yes. I know a lot of people here said no, and that's fine. It's never that simple with government, but, because, but, uh, because again, the, the gene pool will figure itself out. Like, people want to make some mistakes, they'll make some mistakes. But when you give the government that power and authority to inject something into your body, they will take that and they will abuse it to the fullest extent. And they have done it before. They did it with the Tuskegee experiments. <laughs> they, dig it. They, they did it with the CIA dosing people with, with acid. They did it in so many different ways when it came to poisoning people, screwing them over all in the name of science, doing what's best for everyone else, led to genocides and atrocities that the human mind hasn't can't even fathom right nope. now. Let, what are your thoughts, James? Do you agree or disagree? I mean, I, I'm genuinely going to say that this is a complicated issue, but it goes back to the point I made earlier about the mid-level violence. The shot was a mid-level provocation. It makes some sense to go get this vaccine thing, but at the other hand, of course, no, it doesn't. And so it's not this obvious case, like we're talking about, should should we be allowed to, you know, because somebody has a bacterial infection, do we take an antibiotic or whatever? Could we have an expert panel of doctors or whatever? Oh, no, death panels. Could we have an expert panel of doctors say, wait a minute, this was a completely reasonable thing, and therefore the state can mandate? These are questions that healthy, normal societies that don't have parasitical, evil-intended regimes running the thing, which is what he's warning us about, it will almost always become the case if we're not very, very, very... Well, but, very and, and one, one last point really quick. Look what Big Pharma did without the, within the last few years. Look, look at the opioid epidemic. Look at the destruction of the American middle class that was done through doctors. That was done by the medical establishment that was paid off by these sociopaths at Big Pharma that said, you know what? We're going to bunk the science. We're going to get you on heroin. We're going to get you baby heroin. They were, these are evil, sociopathic son of a bitches that don't give a damn about you, never gave a damn about you, and we should never concede <laughs> and give them any Anything ever, and somehow it seems to be the thing. That's the thing. You can only have that in a high trust society. You can only have the thing that you're arguing for, Tim, in a high trust society. And we didn't break the detente on the trust. They did. They violated us. We have no reason to trust them now. We have. We're here from Luke. Everybody's cheering. Of course they are, because we've lost trust in our society, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is on them. Also, I think it's inherent in the nature. We're not supposed to trust each other. We shouldn't have to. The system should be We really trustless. shouldn't trust a bureaucracy either. That's extremely important in this case. Like, because just like Luke's saying, they're going to pay off doctors. They're going to get the... This has become the big... You, we talk about Twitter being a crime scene. We're looking at the biggest crime scene in the yeah. entire world, maybe in the history but, of the world. Tim, just to answer your question, we have to also be realistic of what we're living in. So that would be, the parents, I think, would make the wrong decision there. However, let's be honest about what's going to happen way more often. Parents don't want to give their 11-year-old Lupron, even though the doctor says that the boy thinks he's a girl. That's really what's going on. So hell no, the government should not be able well, to so, step in and overrun parents' rights. Damn right. This is exactly and, and my I just point, want to make though. one little point here. Hold on, hold on. This is, my, this is exactly my point, right? We saw, we saw Matt Walsh on Rogan's show, and he, he was asked, how many kids do you think are getting this? And I think he said millions, and then it turns out it was in the thousands. And we are seeing an increase in this dramatically, but the more common occurrence is, is antibiotics and not Lupron. But that, this is my point exactly. Well, no, it's I, the you, same law. Do you think thousands of parents are withholding antibiotics for their kids? I, I would argue that antibiotics are prescribed for their kids more than Lupron is, is what I'm saying. Oh, no, no, for sure, but I, I don't think there's a mass push of parents that are saying, hey, your eight-year-old might die, and I have, you know, a deep-seated conviction that somehow amoxicillin is against my view. Like, my, I'm not doing my, the math on this guy. No, no. I'm not crunching the numbers. No, no. You, my you're my, my, my argument is that the same law, some people will say, oh, right, antibiotics, that's a normal thing. Oh, Lupron, that's a bad thing, but it's the exact same law. And so the issue is, it's culture, not law. The law can say a lot of things, but if, you're, if you have a group of people who don't believe in morals and ethics, none of it matters. 
the police aren't going to these drag queen, sh these drag, uh, uh, these these uh, simulated sodomy shows like they're doing now in, in San Antonio, and they're not stopping it because there's no cohesive culture. That's a problem. The cops should, should have, there should be no question. They should say we don't do that, but it's just not happening. So I, I just want to point out, you guys are agreeing with the anarchist. Well, no, well, look I'm, at me. I'm too, a liberal but, here. But, 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 You're a minarch. Not you two. Or, or, saying, or <laughs> saying these guys right here. I, 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 I want to make one other point. I can say it definitely. But, you're agreeing with the conservatives. No, no, so. but, but, but yes. no, no, no. I just want to. <laughs> you're I, all want to make a bigger point. You all agree with James Lindsay. What the hell? I just want to make one point. One point specifically here. Of course you do. Now, now take this one example, and you implement it everywhere. That's anarchy, and that's what we need more of, in my. Well, what about? Okay, so. What about but, if there's a disease that's like it's smallpox? It's a bad idea. No. Wait, 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 hold on, guys. That's a great idea. No, for example, no. we need a border and a big wall, okay? <laughs> that is a function of government that we and, need. And welfare? <laughs> Do you need welfare? Very little, minimum. Have Harmeet come in? We were, so we were planning on having Har having Harmeet Dillon come in when yeah, you were ready yeah, to Yeah, I'm gonna, I've got to go do another media interview. Steve Bannon, That's ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so anything much. Else Give it up to Steve, Steve Bannon, everybody. Steve, anything you want to say, Steve, before you go? What's that? Give, <laughs> give it one more. Give it one more if you... Yeah, <laughs> bring it, Steve. You are not just the future, you're the present. If this country's to be saved, it's because of you. What is your task and your purpose? If it's to wake up every day and to save the greatest nation, the most powerful nation on earth, this nation will be saved. That I guarantee you. But, but, if you don't and you falter, they're gonna win, okay? Just remember, everything you just went through in this vaccine, I'm telling you, it's a fantastic win. Look, and look at, look, at, look at everything, pool, all these people that fought through Twitter crushing them, YouTube crushing them, Facebook crushing them, and this is the American cussedness to say, guess what? Go fuck yourself. We're going to win. <laughs> Steve Bannon. Thank you, Steve. It is an honor and a privilege. Thank you, Steve. Uh, I, I, I feel blessed and lucky for, for everybody who's here. And uh, we, we are going to have, I think. We have Harmeet Dillon coming out, right? Yes. Which I, I can make an announcement while she comes out. Everybody, you guys have an email as an attendee of America Fest that is a poll of who you think should run the RNC. Maybe Mike Lindell, maybe <laughs> Harmeet Dillon. Open up that email and vote. Don't yell it out, just vote. <laughs> Brought to you by Turning Point Action. Oh, uh -oh we got somebody coming out. Oh, here. hell, what is this? Who is this? Oh, my Let's God. Let's go, baby! Let's go! I'm here to strip! Harmeet Dillon. I, don't, I can already tell who it is. <laughs> I think I think it's it's clear. <laughs> Even in the it's future, like no, no, you got ten here. seconds. I'm here to snip Charlie Clark. Look at that. I'm here to snip Charlie Clark. <laughs> no, I'm here to snip Charlie Clark. <laughs> you didn't have to break. I'm here to vaccinate Charlie. <laughs> it's Alex Stein. Alex Stein, prime time, 99. <laughs> Alex. <laughs> he ripped the mic. Off. Alex, wait. I had two mics. Now I could I have see him mic. coming. <laughs> and I knew it was him. One James, two mics. Now I know how Dave Portnoy feels. Vote in the straw poll, everybody. <laughs> you got an email. <laughs> I don't think Dave was actually there, though. Oh, no. Is the microphone? <laughs> did he break the microphone? I, I think the mic works. I, I think, I think okay. I fixed it. He okay. just wanted to say hello. I caught it. I caught it. He just wanted. I, what did he even say? He wanted to sniff Charlie Kirk. <laughs> you know, while we're waiting for Harmeet, maybe we can do a little spiritual deep dive here really quick, Charlie. You mentioned something earlier about um, separating God and man. Yes. And the Jewish, the, the, the Old Testament says the second commandment is uh, no false idols. You don't worship a human. And then Jesus comes along and he's a Jew. And he agrees with that because he's a Jew. 
And then the Catholic, all of a sudden, like 70 years after his death, 35 years after his death, they tell people to start worshiping him. No, that's not totally true. So we, we believe that as Harmeet Dillon and Harmeet by Dillon. the way. So this, this works out. Sorry to interrupt you guys. But uh, I really want to answer that question, though, because that's important. So, so we, we, were, we, were, we were thinking about, uh, you know, Steve had, had, a, had, a, had uh, I think, another, another conflict. Show to do, conflict. And, uh, but I think it's an opportunity to talk about solutions because we talk a lot about problems. We talk a lot about hope, but I know that Harmeet is a, a potential solution. Grab, you got to grab the mic. I think Alex. <laughs> Alex I hope this still works. It does. Okay. I think it does. You're good. It'll sound great. great. Hi. I will answer Thanks that question, Ian. We will talk later. All right, okay. Because <laughs> Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Harmeet, what's happening? Well, it's been a pretty busy two-week campaign for chair of the Republican National Committee, and so uh, it's been pretty nonstop. We were just talking about Jesus Christ and spirituality right as you were walking out, so there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of things happening. Yeah, so it was a lot of energy. Ian, <laughs> Ian's had this transformation. I was telling people, like, we're all of a sudden he's talking about the importance of God. Do you believe in God? Absolutely. What do you think it is? Uh, well, God is the creator. God is over all of us. Yeah. We God, can't see Harmeet's face. Lower that down. Lower oh, and then uh, do this. Yes. Spin yeah. that. You God gives us by. guidance. God gives us life. And God gives us everything that's worth fighting for in this country and this world. Yeah. Let's talk. And, and just in the Christian view, just to answer your question, so, so Jesus claimed he was God. There is a misconception that Jesus never did that. He repeated the phrase, I am, especially in the book of John. Uh, the first verse in the book of John is, in the beginning was the word, the word uh, became, the word was God and the word became flesh. This idea of the logos, right, which is rational speech, which is God, made in the image of God. And Jesus coming down in human form was he took the broken form that we became after original sin because he loved us so much to minister alongside of us, to show miracles, to then eventually die a death he did not deserve, to defeat death so then he could be raised from the dead and we can have eternal life. Now the point is this, when we worship Jesus, we're not worshiping man, we're worshiping God that temporarily became man, lived a perfect life, and then gives us eternal life through what he did for us, something we did not earn nor that we deserve. I'm concerned that a centralized authority uh, wrote the storybook that tells us that he said he was God, because I, I never met him. I don't know. No, that's, that's fair, but it's not a centralized authority, because we have four different accounts, right, from four different people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And so what's interesting is they actually reinforce one another and never contradict each other. The, one of the, the most interesting is actually Luke, because Luke continues his gospel in the book of Acts. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. And so Luke is writing it to his benefactor, Theophilus, lover of God, who paid for him to actually go throughout the Middle East and saw it himself. Luke was a doctor. Luke was a non-committed person, right? He was like, there's something magical happening here in the Middle East. And so you're right. You've never met Jesus, but my belief is you can, because he is the living God, right? So that you can invite him in your life, and in a moment, you can have a spiritual transformation. Don't mean to hijack it too much, Tim, but no, no, no that's, my, that's my metaphysical view, and Jesus will change your life, and you can be transformed in an instant. 
Let's talk about solutions. <laughs> Sorry. Let's talk about solutions because Harmeet well, is running for RNC chair. That's right. So what's going on? What's the plan? Well, I don't think there is a plan unless we have a change in leadership at the RNC, and that's the problem. Because for the last six years, we have lost successively. We've lost the House. We've lost the Senate. We've lost the White House. And we're losing our country. And the reason that I'm a Republican volunteer and activist, and I'm sure many of you are in this room as well, is because I love this country. I came here as an immigrant when I was two years old. My parents registered as Republicans when they were naturalized. And, you know, my whole life I've fought for these values. But I'm afraid that we have a lot of Republicans in positions of power today, including elected officials, including certainly some of my fellow Republican activists, who are in it for the wrong reasons, who are in it for ego, who are in it for self-gratification, who are happy to be the controlled, failed opposition. And America cannot afford that. And so that's the reason why I'm running, because I think I can do a better job. And I think that we need vision. We need a plan. We need a plan to deal with these crooked election laws. We have to adapt to overcome them. And we need to get rid of the corrupt consultant class that is controlling the failure in our party. I pledge to do that at the RNC. So this Can is I so, ask so you just, just really quick, what would you be doing different right now? Your, your, your head right now, what's the first thing you do? Well, I'd probably hire some great young grassroots activists to handle the voter registration, ballot harvesting, yes, and ballot curing in states where it's illegal. Um, Scott Pressler is one of the guys who comes to mind for sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> the second thing I would do besides personnel, I would, I would do something like an Elon Musk style, come in and say, look, are you hardcore about electing Republicans? Yes. Are you hardcore about liberty? Yeah. Are you hardcore about winning? And if you're not, here's your two-week severance check and don't let the door hit you, okay? Um, I would immediately initiate a top-to-bottom audit of all consulting and vendor contracts at the RNC because from what I've seen, there is a tremendous amount of back-scratching, fat, waste, self-dealing, and generally stuff that doesn't get Republicans elected. So with those two things, that's off to a good start. But then there's policy, there's other things you have to do. Fundraising is important. We fundraise by abusing our donors. We call them names. The puppy will die if you don't give money. Um, <laughs> you know, yes. if you don't give money, this person that you like won't get elected. And then we use it for different things. I think that's not ethical. It's not consistent with my values as an attorney. That would stop under me at the RNC. Sounds great. So this is so important because what you have to understand is when the left makes its moves, you're like, oh, the left, the left, the left. When the left makes its moves, it's making, again, I keep saying this word, a provocation. When that becomes real is when the conservatives are like, okay, we accept. Yeah. We reify the thing that you just wanted to do. Right. So, you know, they pass some horrific policy. And when conservatives are like, okay, that's just how it is now, they change what it means to have an election. And conservatives say, that's just how it is now. That's when it becomes real. That's when we've actually given away a piece of our country. So having somebody that's going to get in there and try to stand up and clean this mess up, this controlled opposition, hell, half of them are probably active active participants, not controlled opposition. They're pretending. At that point, what you have to be able to do is you have to get in and get in the way of that because it's those people accepting it. It's the Republicans rolling over after Barack Obama passes uh, Obamacare. They get, in 16, Trump comes in on a mandate to get rid of Obamacare. What do they do? They're like, we tried. 
and then we're, we're in this swamp. This is how it works. We don't lose our country until we give away the peace that they tried to take from us. This is so important, and this is why I'm so enthusiastic about Harmeet and why I'm enthusiastic for anyone that's going to challenge the RNC, Mike Lindell included, right? And which is this, is that when you lose, you should not be rewarded. I know that sounds so obvious. That's the way we treat our football teams, our corporations, or anything functioning. And we should have won the Senate this last election cycle. And the Democrats gained a Senate seat, period. Carrie Lake should have received far more support from national Republican organizations. And she did not. And look, I, I, I'm kind of a subject matter expert here. You know, at Turning Point USA, we're super blessed. We have 150,000 donors. Many of you give us money, and we are good stewards of that money. In fact, we have a 100% rating from Charity Navigator, and our, our fundraising costs are right near 6%. The RNC's fundraising cost is 40%. So when you give money to the Republican Party, only 60% goes to programming. And then I have to read they spent $321,000 on flowers? They spent $17 million on donor mementos, $100,000 on clothing. Like, look, we run an organization. We run a really tight ship. That is unacceptable for the Republican Party to be doing. It's an insult to all of you that have donated to candidates, and change is needed immediately. And I think yeah. people don't realize this stuff. I mean, I, I don't know a lot about the inner workings of the RNC or, or, or the DNC. It's only in the past maybe, I don't know, half decade or so we start learning more and more about the inner workings. And now a lot of the stuff we're learning about what was going on 300 grand on, on flowers. How much in, for this in one, one year? I mean, one year. No, it's, well, so let me let me unpack this. So, that that shrieking sound you hear from the building at the RNC is is a lot of consultants and um, staff there jumping to the defense of the chair. And I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. She probably knew about some of these things and thought, okay, this is business as usual. That's part of the defense. Is hey, everybody does it. And then part of it is done by her staff. Uh, and, you know, including some of these consultants who are making themselves rich off of donor money, big dollar and small dollar donor money. But if you're so tone deaf that you don't realize that $700,000 worth of flowers over a six-year period showing up on your FEC report when the Democrats spent $1,000 during that time is problematic and you're defending that, you are totally out of touch, okay? And, and blaming Trump, which is another line of attack that happened out of the RNC, they said, well, when the president is of your party, you pay for all the mementos, you pay for the Easter egg hunt, you pay for the Christmas parties. Actually, that's a separate line item. That's another $5 million that we haven't even talked about. $5 million of parties and White House stuff. But $500,000 or $300,000 worth of the jet expenses happened after Trump left office. So how are you blaming Trump for that? A lot of the flowers, a lot of the limos, 300, no, $3 million worth of the donor mementos came after Trump left office. Guess what, guys? I'm a donor. A lot of you are donors. Do you want mementos or do you want us to win elections? So here's, here's a question I have. In terms of winning these elections, how do you convince this guy to vote for a Republican. And, and I have a question, Good too, luck. Um, just to add to this, because Trump was just brought up. Today, he also officially endorsed Kevin McCarthy as the head of the, head of the GOP, another career politician, which, as you can see from the... Yeah, keep going. You don't have to stop. Keep going. Let him hear it. Let him hear it. All right. That, how do you guys deal with, with, with things like this? How do you address it? What's your reaction to this kind of latest news item? Well, I'm going to say something, which is that 
if we had done our job at the RNC and also the leadership of the other two committees, and Republicans had a large majority in the House, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't be having this really awkward conversation about a five-member margin, the Freedom Caucus, some of them not being happy, and this even being a conversation. We might have been able to freely elect somebody who was popular with all of the members, but because of this odd situation that if they don't go that way, a Democrat might win, I think that is sort of the, the, sort of the only choice that Republicans have right now. Kevin McCarthy's better than a Democrat, um, and so he's from my state, so I have to be, you know, a little diplomatic. Uh, That's tough. But, but, you know, look, I would say through the years of the last six <laughs> years, there have been a lot of bad personnel choices. Yeah. There have been a lot of bad choices about who's around the hand of power, and here we are. And so I think we're going to make one more at the RNC if we just say, please, sir, may I have some more losing? Yes. I don't want that. I don't want another helping of losing. Well, and I just, uh, can I brag on Harmeet? I hope you understand how difficult this is for her to do. She's a member of the 168. This is a club, it's a cartel, it's a smoke-filled room. You are not supposed to ask questions. And she is receiving nonstop personal attacks on her business and her family. These people have the knives out. And it's a lot of courage for a person of the 168 to challenge one of their own. I think she deserves a lot of credit for that. Thank you. But <clears throat> Charlie, uh, the pain is being spread around because while you've been sitting here, a member of the 168 made an attack on you. Oh, what, what did they say? Well, you sent out this email. Yeah, saying that the, the turning Mount point Martin action project. might remove members of the RNC yes. if they vote incorrectly. Well, yeah. well you're a bully. <laughs> wow. Oh, I'm a bully? You're oh, a yeah. bully. Well, hold Parmeet's on. friends are bullying us. No, this is why yes. I kind of actually question one of your premises, Hamid. And the, the question, the premise that I'm questioning is that a Republican who sucks is better than a Democrat who you, you know, you see is, is it's an obvious enemy. And so at this point, it's like, I don't, and I'm not saying that I have an opinion on this, but I'm actually more worried about the Republican who poses as somebody who's going to do the right thing and then flops it every yes. single time yep. than I am about the Democrat who we... You, you know, we know they're going to do all the devil you know. Mount a, exactly. The devil you know. You can mount a clear opposition to that. And the, we have to be milk, you know, the, all... The well, it's not my wrench. premise. You, you asked about Trump's endorsement. No, no, no. That's no, the no. premise. That's uh, why no, people do that. No, that was him. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm the one who's being told that Rana has 107 votes, so it's a fait accompli. I don't accept that. No. I am not accepting it, and I am stepping up to challenge it. And guess what? People are turning my way. I think... That's me. You know, from, from a little bit of the earlier conversation, I, I don't, I, look, people on the right call me a liberal, people on the left call me f conservative or far right. And uh, for, for someone like me, probably Ian and, and Luke, we're not as easy to convince to vote, especially when we see constantly McConnell or McCarthy or whatever. So I understand you don't want to lose. Me, I'm, I'm, I'm more amicable to, okay, I get it. Let's, let's, you know, get our incremental victories. But winning over more individuals like us to come to this side is going to be very difficult if we just keep saying the same thing over and over again. Well, 100 percent. And look, I mean, we ha the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and expecting a different result. And so with, with messaging that isn't working, certainly not appealing to young people, the idea that a member of the 168 would attack the most popular youth movement in America right now shows you how <laughs> out of touch they are. But by the way, all of us don't feel that way. What, what state I have also was this person from? Washington State. Um, oh, but, yeah. They're doing uh, really well up there, that Republican <laughs> Party. But, but look, Super but, robust. But, <laughs> honestly, some of the members, by the way, many of the members I've spoken to, I've got to call each of them, have hour-long conversations, which is wonderful. I hear from them. 
a lot of them are saying, Harmeet, and they're, they're one, of, one of the things they're upset about is that organically, thousands of Americans began contacting them from their own state saying, we'd like change. This offends some members of the 168. They've said, how dare you, how dare you sick this mob of low information bitchers on us. That's one statement that was made in the media by one of the members of the This is how, this is what the RNC thinks of you. Not all of them, but some of them. Well, currently they're saying it's a majority though, Th right? That's what they're saying. But, but some of them said, Harmeet, I don't mind at all. I came from the grassroots. I love to hear from the grassroots. We need the Mount Vernon project to get more of those leaders in the party. That's right. Yeah, so today, Turning Point Action, we announced the project. If you're not going to represent your voters at the RNC, Turning Point Action will work to remove you. I also want to make a point here. You bully. <laughs> One point I wanted to make here to Tim's question about how you, how you get me to vote is that I think the political lines have broken. Tim deals with the corporate media attacking him from the left and right. I had Bill O'Reilly call me a jihad-loving liberal. I had Chris Matthews call me a right-wing racist teabagger. Right now, it's not left or right. It's establishment or anti-establishment. And there's a huge portion of this country that doesn't vote, doesn't participate. And if you could get those people, because those people are the anti-establishment, those people are sick of the two-party duopoly. They're sick of being told lies every election cycle only to be let down, only to be promised a bag of goods that gets taken away when they get out of that voting box. How do you get the American people to care that are anti-establishment? That's a question that I would love to hear from you guys. Well, well, one thing I would say is that I will say that the something I've been saying on the campaign trail for the last two weeks and, and for years actually is that our party is not the party of the Chamber of Commerce anymore and the warmongers. And it's not that party anymore. That was the party when I was young, um, Cold War era neocons everywhere running the party. But the people who run the party, some of the members of the 168 have actually been there since that era, and they haven't noticed that the voters have changed. They haven't noticed that the Trump populism has brought a whole new wave of people into the party. Yes. Unless we work to retain those by messages and messengers who believe that, who act that, who tell them that we want them, we are going to continue to lose elections. That's well, the reality. Let me, just real quick. Probably should have done this right off the bat, but can you explain the 168? Yeah, the 168 is like I was. We were joking backstage. It's now sounding like the Illuminati, but the 168—that's <laughs> my love language. Careful there. The 168 are three members of each of 50 states and six territories, and believe it or not, my state with 40 million people has the same amount of power at the RNC as American Samoa. They also have three, and they have like 50,000 people there. But those 168 vote to elect the next chair of the RNC, treasurer, co-chair, and so forth. And so you got to get a majority of them. That's that's 85 to win. And so Rana started out with a you know big list. That list is smaller if we were being truthful. But people are being attacked. There was a story today that she, quote unquote, lassoed somebody from the herd who had flipped over to my side, got them back. This is the kind of humiliating language we see about this uh, election. Conservatives pounce. Conservatives pounce. Is it because the ones, people at the 168 feel like they're going to lose, like, deals that they have? If they're they going to lose. Like, if I, were, if I were the new chair, I would change who's the chair of all the committees, okay? I would stop the tchotchkes uh, at donor expense. I would stop the staff retreats at $1,000 a night. I think that's obscene. I would stop uh, a lot of the waste and excess there. I have pledged to move most, if not all, of the operations of the RNC out of D.C. Because 
DC is not America. I'm sorry for anybody who lives in DC. No one and, and I want people who work at the RNC to live in America and be in touch with America because we represent America. And that's, so, very, that's very threatening to consultants who live in America, lobbyists who have the pipeline to the consultants, all of that. So that, they're very upset about that. Well, two things. So first, it's kind of similar to the College of the Cardinals, but it's a secret ballot, which is upsetting to me, but it's also really exciting to me personally. It's upsetting because I want to be able to know who to hold accountable. But I think a lot of people are going to flip on Rana are gonna, and vote for Harmeet since it's a secret ballot. So I, I think it's, so. it's actually, I think, a better thing in some sense. But number two, to answer the question of how do you win over me, I will just keep on reiterating this. We're a conservative organization at Turning Point USA, and we allow different opinions and different voices. There is a trend that on the right, free speech is protected and preserved. Show the equivalent left-wing group that would invite Tim Pool to go do his show and just kind of take questions. It just doesn't exist. Well, Luke's, uh, he's pro-Biden Biden Fetterman. You can tell by his shirt. It's a no-brainer, he says. No-brainer. <laughs> hey, two potatoes are better than one potato, okay? Mm. <laughs> I speak in my language. I, I agree with what you're saying, though, and, and it's, it's that there's a meme comic where it's, you know, a guy in the middle, and there's a, there's a blue person and a red person. The blue person pushes the guy in the middle, and the guy on the right says, oh, are you okay? And then they're like, why are you siding with the right? And I'm like... <laughs> Clearly, like, if I have discussions with people, I fall on the, the, the more traditional liberal spectrum. I'm, I'm sure James does on a lot of issues as well. But uh, here, widen a little bit, man. I'm telling. I'm, you. Uh, no, I'm lassoing I, James over to my <laughs> side. No, 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 your lassos don't work. I, yeah, there you go. I have a tremendous integrity, but they're freaking me the hell out, man. The, the left is out of control. They're freaking me out. Something that bothers me, you mentioned insanity earlier, Army doing the same thing over and over again, is that, we're, that recently we've been using digital voting machines yeah. and they're tallying the votes in secret with proprietary code. I think that's unethical. I yeah. think that the code should be open source. Of course. So that we can watch the tallies. And I'd like to see a, a, a backup of the voting on a blockchain so that we can verify our votes without having to rely on a company telling us what our votes are. And, yeah, and, and real I mean, quick, the whole idea of these corporations having proprietary access and they can't show you the code because that would break some NDA, that's nonsense, and we must stop allowing that. And think about what this means, too. It means that there was a period where we used paper ballots that you could physically see and check from a box, and then one day, without anybody realizing it, a private corporation got full control over that knowledge and took it away from us. Is it something at the RNC that you can change? I can't change it at the RNC, but the RNC can strongly encourage certain policies. We can go to court and fight. We didn't do that for four of the six years I've been at the RNC. I started, I mean, I'm a lawyer, so of course, I started jumping up and talking about that. In the last two years, we began to do it. Mark Elias and company were doing it a decade earlier. They're extremely well-funded. After the Democrats didn't do well in the 2004 election, they all had a meeting of their Illuminati, okay? They sat around a table and they said, okay, Bob, Chuck, Jim, Sue, each of you is going to give hundreds of thousands of dollars for the following 200 nonprofits, nonprofits, okay? And then we're going to use that to control America's elections. And it took them a while, but they control America's elections now for the most part. And Republicans are like, oh, whoops, isn't that unfortunate? Too bad, so sad, try again next time. Um, but we can do something about it. We can start filing lawsuits right now to, to protect us for the 2024 election, and we have to. And, and I, I think real, real quick, let me just, I would say one simple thing you can do is win. And then once there are more good people who are in Congress and in the Senate, then they can start actually pushing those yeah, things. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was arguing with a great conservative activist online about this. And they said, Harmony, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? The way that we change the voting laws in each of the states is, we well, have to do it state by state, is win elections. 
win the legislature and win the governor's race. And by the way, that's not enough. You have to have judges on the state Supreme Court who are willing to uphold the laws. You have to have all three of those things. And if you have that, you can absolutely go back to the way it was 20 years ago if you want. But it requires that combination. If you don't have it, you've got to play the game the way it is. And it's foolish to just say, I wish, I wish we were operating in this state under those rules. Let me take my ballot and walk it in election day and vote in person. Maybe it's snowing, maybe I forgot. That's a bad idea. If you can vote early right now, my advice and the advice of most activists is, go ahead and take advantage of that. I'm calling it claim your vote early so that somebody else can't take it. That's the way to go until we change those laws. The next, the next couple of years moving forward, I think the most important thing is ballot harvesting. I think when you look at the polling, likely voters don't matter. They ask everybody, are you, are you likely to vote? Are you registered? Yes. But then all of a sudden, the, 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 the numbers don't equal up because they're going door to door. They're ballot harvesting. That's right. We have to hustle our ballots into the ballot boxes, not emotionally appeal with expensive ads and hope people show up on Election Day. That is one of the reasons why we're losing. I, I agree with you, Tim, that it's important. I, don't, I think the most important thing is a message of something we can do as a society. We can create a new industry of graphene. Are you familiar with I graphene? I knew where he was yes. going. Everyone drink. Yeah. We can, <laughs> Take we can a shot right essentially, now. Essentially, a lot of activists, you might say left-wing activists, are concerned with carbon in the air. You can withdraw the carbon from the air and turn it into graphene. So we can set up an industry where we're healing the earth and building the new material that will be used in the 21st century is the epic, most epic building material. I think you should tell Kevin McCarthy about but that. Let, let, okay. Ian, let's, let's broaden that. Let's broaden that and say, when they talk about climate change and they try and use that as a message for elections, the simple answer is technology will solve all these problems if we, if we advocate for it, be it graphene or something It else. will solve this problem, but then create a new one where we start to take so much carbon out that the trees are suffering and we'll need to balance that out with countries across the world and create like a, you know, a global initiative. Sometimes I think he just says graphene to get a rise out of people. I wouldn't. I don't even want to. I just have to. <laughs> Maybe it's a, just a pathway to seeing a global initiative. I don't know. Yes. I, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with libertarians and anarchists, and I feel like they're revolutionary. I'm more of a reformer. I'm looking for a, a few wins here and there and, and, a, and a path towards success. And right now we're looking at the loss of, of free speech. The platforms where we have our political communication, uh, political conversations have been stripped away from basically everybody. It's more apparent than ever now, especially with Elon leaking all this stuff. So for me, I'm kind of like, Harmeet, you winning is a huge net, net advantage. You take a look at what happened in 2022 I, uh, with the midterms. It was still good, but everyone was surprised it wasn't good enough. I think Republicans are still very much, uh, it's changing. But it was like what you were saying, Ian, they, they want a good message. They think, unfortunately, they can stand on stage to a bunch of good people and try and convince them why they're right. And then what ends up happening is the Democrats just knock on someone's door and say, who cares who's right? Just mark the box with a D on it. I mean, that's how you have a Fetterman. Uh, you know, that's how you have a Katie exactly. Hobbs. Absolutely empty vessels, but it doesn't matter because their machine will elect whoever has a D behind their name. Now, on our side, we're asking people to elect the same leadership again and again at the RNC, the Senate, the House, and, and expect that things will be different. That's not very inspiring. So I know I can change one of those things. I can't change the other two. You think there should yeah. be term limits for a congressman? Well, I was not in, of that view years ago, but I've begun to come around to that. I think, I think we should. What would be a reasonable term limit? Probably 12 years, you know, something like that, a decent amount of time, uh, maybe two years for senators or three, three terms that, for senators. That'd be, that'd be two Senate terms, yeah. yeah. Two Senate for, terms. for me, one day. 
in and out. That's it. You're gone. No, that's chaos. But again, again, again. But, but again, term limits are not some magic potion. California's messed up, and they have term limits in their state government. Term limits are good. I think it will improve D.C., but it's a lot structurally more broken than just term limits. What about term limits for administrators? About, but, but, you know, I just want to bring up, sorry, go ahead. Ask oh, term limits for the administrative staff. That, that's, staff. A, that's a better reform. Yeah, that's but again, big... if you move people out of D.C., including government agencies, People will not find it so attractive That's to hang right. on to those jobs because in the real world, those are not very attractive jobs. They're not fulfilling. And however, you know, they get paid pretty well and there's no accountability. That is the industry. That's the industry of D.C. So if people lived in America and they were like, hey, Bob is, looks happy across the street and Bob has a job at, you know, whatever, a factory or doing something useful, there's just more mixing it up yep. in the real world. Where would you move it to out of, if you, when you go out of D.C.? Well, I, I wouldn't move it to a particular place, but we have all these um, swing states where we need to win them, you know, Arizona, um, uh, you know, Georgia. Uh, I mean, Texas is even becoming a, a swing state, unfortunately. Uh -oh. Ohio, Pennsylvania. I would move it to those places where we need to win. And and just, you know, we have we, we have the, the following departments. We have communications, we have fundraising, we have political, we have digital, we have administrative. All of those things could be, like, we learn from COVID. Like, my law firm at the beginning of COVID had one office. I have five offices today. I haven't even visited them. But the offices are running beautifully because we have telephones. We have Zoom. We have ways to communicate with each other. We don't all need to be sitting in some, you know, decrepit, you know, edifice in D.C. So you're considering decentralizing the Yes, RNC. absolutely. This is a huge reform. This cannot be emphasized enough. This alone will give a competitive advantage worth tens of millions of dollars. To be out of the beltway, in the place where you have to win over voters, it will humble the staff, you'll hire better people, you'll be out of the kind of, because that way consultants just can't take an Uber and walk a couple blocks and get all their work done. And then go to Morton's, and then go to K Street. No, it's like, no, you got to get on a plane, you got to come visit us in Buckhead, you got to tell us why we got to use your service, you're coming into our culture with our locally hired people, it changes everything. Instead of just the same incestuous Washington, D.C. hiring carousel. Day one, my recommendation to Harmeet is to say the RNC DC building is closed. We are going to sell it. You'll make like $40 million right there by selling that building. And we're going to open up field offices in Wisconsin, Arizona, and Georgia, and we're going to go win elections. So, so here, here. fundraising in Florida. There you go. You've, Harmit, you've been involved in a lot more than just this, yeah. especially with social media censorship and things like that. Can, do you want to just explain some of the battles that you've been in culturally and politically? Yeah, sure. I've been a First Amendment lawyer for almost my entire career now, almost 30 years. And um, it, it first came to my attention what was going on. I mean, to be honest with you, the first time I got on Facebook, I ran for state assembly and a young staffer told me to get on there and I, it became fun. I got on Twitter when I became more active in the state party in California. But then what I learned about the case of James Damore. James Damore, young software programmer at Google, I didn't know him, but he got fired for saying the shocking truth that maybe we should be considering in diversity, we should be talking about diversity of ideas as well. And, that, and then that was anathema, it got him fired. And so his friends tried to find a conservative lawyer in California, in San Francisco Bay Area, who has expertise in employment law. And that was a you know, sort of Venn diagram of one. And so I took his case, <laughs> And we really made that cause celeb. We exposed what was going on inside Google. And you know, the, I can't discuss the details, but the case had a positive ending. And so as a result of that, I really began to look at some of these things. Then we get into Communications Decency Act, Section 230, social media censorship. I represented a prominent um, Canadian feminist named Megan Murphy. Megan Murphy was critical of a transgender activist, uh, uh, Jessica Yanov, in, in Vancouver 
who was, hadn't, hadn't transitioned medically, but was going to immigrant women's homes and asking them to wax this person's genitals. You know, and these women wouldn't want to do it, and then he would file civil rights lawsuits against them for violating their rights. And Megan Murphy was banned initially for saying men aren't women, though. Exactly. Recently and reinstated by Elon. At the time, the terms of service of Twitter did not make misgendering a violation of the terms of service. This is an important point. But the Twitter Illuminati, if you will, simply retroactively FBI. changed the law, that changed the terms of service, and bounced her permanently. And so I sued over that case went to the state court and the court of appeals, and the court said, sorry, Communications Decency Act Section 230 means their terms of service don't matter. It's irrelevant what they say to you. They can do whatever they want. And there have been other cases. Rogan O'Hanley, a.k.a. D.C. Drano, another client of our firm. Um, I, I, I have a question for yeah. you on the Section 230 sure. thing. So Wikipedia, they... You know, this one really uh, uh, lights a fire in me because the, the article about Project Veritas is just a fabrication. It's, it's, it's a whole bunch of op-eds. Most Wikipedia of any conservative is a fabrication. Absolutely. But it says at the top of the article, from Wikipedia, that's their byline, not the, not the user-generated content. I'm wondering if there's some, some, ang some vector there for, for suing on, on defamation terms. Well, they have all these editors, and I'm not sure they fit the definition of a social media network. So I haven't really deeply examined that issue, but they have editors who are appointed there. It's a nonprofit foundation. Um, Wikipedia is a joke, by the way. If anybody here you know, cites well, them or thinks of relying on them. I want to give a special shout out to our friends in the corporate press who created their own Wikipedia entry called Thursday Night Massacre because a small handful were suspended temporarily on Twitter. For 12 hours or something. 12 hours. Yeah. And they wrote themselves an encyclopedia entry. I guess they assume that in a thousand years, humanity needs to know this happened to them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, look, until we have a Republican Congress, Senate, President, and we still have judges who are willing to uphold things, I mean, I, I keep talking about 2017, 2018, we had all of those things. We had the Supreme Court. We had all the branches of government. And then we have Republican congressmen who love to pound the table and point fingers at the executives at these social media companies and then go to a reception at, you know, K Street and pick up checks from them. That's, that's the uniparty that, that people are talking about. Until we have elected officials who are willing to stand up and say, there needs to be a social media user's bill of rights that gives us a private right of action. That Communications Decency Act 1996 law, way before any of these social media companies, needs to be edited to make clear that it does not exempt these companies from normal laws that govern corporations. You, you mentioned earlier when you were saying uh, Twitter, I agree with you. Also, check out the Manila principles because they've got six great principles that are on a path for law, internet law. But what you were saying when Megan Murphy was dealing with getting banned, Twitter changed the law after the fact. Then you corrected yourself and said the terms of service. Yes. I, meant, I do kind of see it as a law. And it's I wonder... the law of the corporation, should, sure. Should we, when a, when a corporate social media network changes its terms of service, should that go to Congress? And then they've got to... And let them vote I'm on not it? sure I trust Congress necessarily. I would definitely trust <laughs> plaintiff's lawyers more than Congress. <laughs> so I think we just need a we, we need the right to be able to go into court and prove our case in court. We're gonna here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a few super chats and then in about ten minutes we're actually gonna go to audience QA. I think we're I, I think we are. Cool. I'm pretty sure. And then Wild. and yeah, so but there's a few things that I'll bring up. We're not we're not gonna get as many super chats as we normally do because I clearly I don't even have a computer in front of me. But there was one I saw that's really good. Ty Beham says, I would like to see the RNC pledge to repeal the Patriot Act. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Can I address that? Yeah. Okay. I am certainly the only member of the Republican National Committee 
who, when the Patriot Act was passed, joined the board of the American Civil Liberties Union in order to try to repeal it. Wow. Okay? And it's held against me, believe me, every time I run for any office, it's part of, it's part of Rana's like, oppo that she's dumping on me. I'm proud of the fact that back in the day, I saw that the government having this kind of power in the name of national security was rapidly going to be wielded against Americans. And there was only one member of Congress who voted against it. It was a Democrat, and it was Barbara Lee in California, across the Bay in Oakland. Good for her. But those of us who were paying attention on both sides of the aisle, there were Republicans back then still supporting the ACLU, not today, and including not me, for many years. But exactly what I was worried about 21 years ago has come to pass. And it came to pass years ago, and we didn't know about it. And so we should wake up and smell the coffee. The government should never have that kind of control to be able to read our emails, read our chats, treat all of us as guilty until proven innocent. That is anathema to the Constitution itself. But what you if know, we if we got rid of the Patriot Act? I'm, I don't like the Patriot Act at all, but if we got rid of it and then our government couldn't spy on us anymore, but then the Chinese government could and would, and the British government would, and the Mexican government would, like, would that put us at a disservice as Americans? No, I mean, I don't, I don't really follow that. I mean, if, if, if we're allowing other governments to spy on us, we got to stop that. It's not a solution to just say we should all be spying. So maybe the Patriot Act itself is irrelevant, that we just need technology that's resilient to spying. Or we, we need a government that's resilient to pandering to every, you know, foreign innovation. I don't know why TikTok is allowed in this country. Ban it. Ban it. I, lo I love this one, too, because there's a lot of uh, liberal and lefty types who are like, oh, I'm so free speech, I'm in favor of banning an entire social media platform, and I've seen that from some of the enlightened centrists, too. And uh, it's, it's a foreign-owned corporation that's, that's manipulating our, our youth, and it's we're banned from it's it. It's a spying, it, it, it's a patriot, it's, it's the Chinese version of the Patriot Act that we, like gullible fools, are willingly allowing onto our devices. We could demand that the code is open source before it sets foot on our soil. I mean, look, I mean, for all of, I praised Elon Musk for his innovations. You can't do business in China without being beholden to the Chinese yes, government. That's right. a fact. Yeah. By the way, when I show up at RNC meetings, and I hate to harp on this, but I pick up the water bottle that they give me that says RNC. This is my husband and I, it's our reflex. We turn it over. What does it say? Made in China? I give it back. <laughs> you have to have some principles. No, yeah. no tchotchkes from China in, in my administration. What do you, Luke, what do you think about banning TikTok? Um, complicated issue, fifth generational warfare. I think we need more awareness. More people need to be made aware that uh, every single piece of their data is being used, harvested, and weaponized against them. The U.S. intelligence agencies do it. The Chinese intelligence agencies do it. Uh, we need to be, I, I think we need a bill of rights of, of privacy and, and liberty where we could protect individuals' uh, privacy. I think that's more important than ever. Yeah, data privacy in particular. This is so, so, so important. Yeah. We must treat our data. I don't know exactly. We got a lawyer. She can deal with it. But it really does need to fall under the idea of, of something akin to copyright law. Yeah. You produce the data. You somehow have ownership over that data. You somehow have control over that data. Because if we're not doing that, then it's getting used. It's yeah, getting I mean, sold and there, are, there is a patchwork of laws in different states that give you certain rights, but it's not at federal law. Yeah. All right, let's read some more. I've got Raymond G. Stanley Jr., who, of course, is a, is a big super chatter. Shout out, Raymond, who says, Tim Crew, guest killer show. I dig IRL spreading the different perspectives to the youth. Tim, does this mean you're now coming out as a right-winger conservative? Nope, just a milquetoast fence hitter, as per usual. But Lou can harp on the government all day, and everybody seems to get a kick out of that, so we're good. And then we have uh, Waffle Sensei. He says, remember when World War II ended and we decided to create a one-world government in order to prevent falling into a one-world government?
What I love about this one is that uh, <laughs> Ian brings up the, the liberal economic order, which is on the website of, I think, the CFR. We bring it up from time to time. Uh, George H.W. Bush brought, uh, talked about a new world order. There were a few statements recently about creating a new world order. I'm curious, uh, I guess, you know, Harmeet, you weren't here for the earlier uh, part of the conversation about the Great Reset, this international, uh, I, I don't know, you will own nothing and you will be happy kind of mentality that we're seeing. I mean, my parents didn't leave their homeland and bring me here to America for America to turn into some kind of socialist utopia. We don't want that. And so, in fact, most of the people who come to this country don't want that. It's amazing how many Americans who grew up here and have all the privileges in the world have no awareness about world history or human nature or the brutality that happens in the name of equality. I agree, and that's tough. I, 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 every day, you know, I think about there's a lot of people who are not getting accurate information. They're either believing the lies from the corporate media or they just don't care. And the question is, how do you how do you convince them? You convince them by being a, a part of the solution. You homeschool your children. You promote open carry laws. You expose the controlled uh, intel agencies controlling social media. You get engaged with the dialogue. You show up at your school boards. You get involved where it matters. And I think we are having victories. We are winning in some extent. There is a bigger fight here. It is spiritual as well, but it, it's a fight that is absolutely incredible to be a part of. And I'm so happy and blessed to be alive for it. Well, let me let me ask a tough question. How do you guys feel about the fact they banned? guns in this building. No, no, no. That's a Phoenix City thing. It's a Phoenix City thing. Yes. So no, that's what I mean. Like, like. Well, no, I don't, I don't like it. I'm just, yeah. I, someone said, Charlie, are you not pro-Second Amendment turning point? We are here under the regime of the <laughs> Phoenix City Council, okay? Just so we're clear. Well, that's, that's what I mean. I mean, would you feel better or worse if everybody here was, uh, was armed? Better. Better. I'd feel better. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'm totally fine with it. I, I think it, we'd be better off, you know, I'm coming in and I see they got all the big security and stuff like that and there's the signs and I, I grew up in Chicago and I'm just like, I'm not going to live that way. I, I, it's, if, if I want to be up here and I want to put myself at risk, that's nothing about everyone. And it, no, that's no reason to take away someone else's rights. I agree. But Luke mentioned open carry laws and I agree with that. Which have been uh, growing and developing and we have more gun rights than we ever had, I think, especially on the local level. This is a huge victory that we need to remember, that we need to promote, that we need to keep up the fight with. Hey, why vote Republican? Vote Republican for that. Only one party's fighting for your gun rights, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one response. But it's not bump stock Donnie. Okay, I mean, fine, but he, he, he's been, he was better on guns than Biden. I mean, look at the record now. Yeah, well, there's look the... At, and I, I disagree with you. As of right now, no, because of the laws passed, because of what, what Donald Trump did. Um, and, and I think on the local level, government actually, you know... Well, hold on. Do Trump did a bump stock thing, which I didn't like, but Trump also appointed Supreme Court justices that upheld the Heller decision, yeah. which is way more consequential yeah. than some aesthetic configuration on a gun. But, but what did Biden do other than just rhetoric? Biden, I believe, has now directed the ATF and the FBI to go after purchases, bank transactions. No, no, the bank transactions are a private company, but Biden well, well, does, talk, does talk a tough talk, but he hasn't done anything yet. He, I, from what I understand, is he's our, he is re-weaponizing the federal government to go after what they called Operation Choke Point, which is basically destroying firearm manufacturers in our country. I mean, not to mention- By the way, nothing is done by a private company anymore. If anything, over the last few days of the Twitter dumps has told yes. us, do not believe that anybody is organically doing things that are taking away That's your true. rights. Yeah. Your right. government is doing that. Hey, come on, Biden, Biden appointed Katanji Brown Jackson, who said she doesn't believe in the Heller decision, 
and Trump gave you three justices that did. Heller and, decision is the Roe versus Wade of Second Amendment. Everything that we have with gun rights hinges on the Heller decision, which was 5-4. Biden wants it repealed. Trump put people in office that upheld it. And if it was Hillary in 2016, it would have been three liberal justices that those gun rights would have been... They, they, they would have overturned the Dobbs Heller decision. would never have happened. That's right. So many things would never well, have happened. And, and Heller, just so you know, was the Washington, D.C. plaintiff that said, I have a right to own a firearm. And Clarence Thomas was the deciding vote and wrote the, the opinion. And he said, yes, not only is the Second Amendment critical for your safety, but you have a moral right to be able to defend yourself yep. because of the Second Amendment. You, you guys make very good points. Yeah. Uh, I can see it on some of them. But I'm still mad at Reagan banning machine guns, and that's really messed up and horrible that he did that. Didn't Reagan do no-fault divorce as well? That's yes. a good thing. We, yeah, I'm yes. not a fan of that. If you want the thought crime, it's Reagan wasn't as conservative as people remember. <laughs> what do you guys think about term limits for Supreme Court justices? Um, I'm against it. I don't like it. Because the way you're talking about, because of this guy, we ha we saved our gun rights, makes me very nervous. So I, I don't want to rely on hoping that someone can come in and save me. Yeah, but, I mean, this it's, in my opinion, even with the ones who are there for a long time, I like, I like the system where we have to be forced to elect good people to, to the presidency so that we aren't just waiting for the justices to term out. That It, it does up the stakes for the presidency, but that's okay because what's at stake is our liberty. And I don't want them to just be rotating out and have new versions of them. We are going to wrap up the live portion for everybody watching at home. And we're going to take questions from the audience. But for those who are watching at home, become a member at TimCast.com because we're going to have that members-only Q&A up as the members-only portion for tonight. So there's still something there available for you. So smash that like button. You can follow the show at TimCastIRL. You can follow me at TimCast. But let's go around if you guys want to shout anything out, Charlie. Well, first, uh, thank you all in the audience for sitting through all this. You guys are amazing. We do what we do because of you. I want to just say a couple shout outs. I want to thank Tim for making the journey out here. This is unusual and it's really fun. <laughs> we love having you at Turning Point USA. You're welcome at all of our events. This is really cool and exciting. Uh, for everyone watching at home, we do three podcasts a day. If you guys want to subscribe to the Charlie Kirk Show podcast, if I piqued your curiosity at all, we are un unabashedly conservative, but we have James Lindsay on a lot, Harmeet on a lot, and Tim, I think you're coming on the show later. You guys could type in Charlie Kirk Show to your podcast provider and hit subscribe. It would bless us, and if you guys are interested in Turning Point USA, start a high school or college chapter, tpusa.com. Yes, well, thank you, Tim, for having me here today. This has been a lot of fun. I look forward to joining you next month as well. Thank you, Charlie, for starting Turning Point USA, one of the most exciting and innovative uh, organizations in the country. Um, if you are a Republican, since many of my Republican fellow members are very triggered at hearing from their voters, I would ask that you perhaps contact Republican delegates or activists or committee man or precinct man in your state and ask for a vote on the leadership of the RNC at that activist level. That's been successful in Arizona, in Texas, in Tennessee, and increasing in other states. So finally, make your views known, stand up and be counted. Thank you. I want to thank you know all of you all for coming out. I want to thank all of you for coming to, to, to America Fest and supporting this great event. Thank you, Charlie, for hosting it, making it work. Thank you for everything you do with, with um, having me work with Turning Point and come do things with Turning Point. It's been a fun journey with you guys. Thank you, Tim, again, for having me on. Um, thank you, Harmeet, for running for chair. Thank you for that. That is so important that we clean that up. Um, since I guess I get to have a pimping something of my own moment. I just published a book, y'all. It's called The Marxification of it's Education. It's really good. You should pick it up if you want to see how they stole our education from our kids and our society. I won't keep doing a commercial. Thank you.
Well, I, you know, you guys have, have made basically proven uh, the concept that we can do this show live, so this has been extremely epic. Thank you. I do. Where can people find you, Ian? You can find me online at Ian Crossland, but uh, what about you, Luke? Before we go, I just wanted to say uh, war, war is murder, taxation is theft, police, uh, police are gangs, and politicians <laughs> are criminals. Uh, thank you guys so much for, for being here. <laughs> I disagreed with some of you guys, but at least we could have this honest conversation. I really appreciate it. You guys could find me on YouTube.com forward slash WeAreChange. I've been an independent journalist for way too long. If you like this Biden Fetterman 2024 shirt, which is probably a reality, uh, you can get it on thebestpoliticalshirts.com. And because you do, that's why I'm here. Thank you again so much for having me. Everybody who's watching online, thank you all so much for hanging out. Stay tuned for the members-only section at timcast.com, and we will see you all then.